Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. I don't know what the hell's in there, but it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. God, what was happening to me? Nobody trusts anybody now. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. When you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch! You too. You've got to be fucking kidding. I'm gonna hide this tape when I'm finished. If none of us make it, at least there'll be some kind of record. Welcome to Hell Interrupted. Are you out of your damn mind? You get to drink from the fire hole! This is an embarrassment, a disgrace! What? What's the matter, kid? You got wax in your ears? Don't do it! You got Tammy and Parley! <laughs> Hello and welcome to Film Interrupted. This is the show where I get to do whatever I want while dealing with the constant antics of Smash. I'm your host, Phil Allen, and we're going to get right into the show. We're scrapping the rest of the intro. We've got a lot to get to today. This is a podcast that's been like five weeks in the making. Nobody cares about that, but we've got a little story we'll tell you about. This is a, We've been looking forward to doing this show, and I'm excited to have returning guest. Uh, he was on the UHF episode. And it's his first time back, so I'm really happy to have him back, and I think it's him. Well, hopefully it's him. Matt, welcome back to the show. Hey, Phil. How's it going? I am very happy to be back. Thanks for having me again. And I am very looking forward to uh, reviewing the movie that we will be reviewing today. I don't want to give any spoilers away, so I'll let you do that. No, we've been talking for, uh, like, months about the movie The Thing. Yes. All right. 1982 classic John Carpenter movie, The Thing. Great movie. Yeah. It's like uh, uh, like sci-fi horror. Now we're going to talk a little bit more. Like We're also going to talk about the prequel, the 2011. Uh, it's not a, it's a prequel. Some people get it confused because it has the same title, which was strange. Yeah. They had a lot of mix-ups about that and thought it was a sequel when in fact it is a prequel. Or a re- or just a straight remake too. But why didn't they just? Why didn't they name it like, you know, like what is the the life beyond? What is this here? The very the originally I'm fumbling here. I'm pretty sure they originally were going to title it something else, but they didn't want to get it confused. So instead of just naming it some obscure horror movie, they wanted to keep it in line with the thing. So I think they just stick with the thing yeah but that's just confusing to people that's confusing to me well yeah that would make me think that it was a remake yeah not a sequel or a prequel just a remake right exactly and the 1938 john campbell jr novella i don't know why everyone calls it novella isn't a novel i don't know who goes there is the original story about the um where the alien came from that's where it all started and then in 1951 there was a movie, I believe, by the title "The Thing from Another World," yep. and one cool little thing to note is they the graphic from the 1951 adaptation, which was apparently like you know your classic 1950s cheesy, of course, black and white and right. all that stuff, and uh, obviously not gory like the 1982 one. And uh, the the logo that they used for the movie "The Thing," it's like kind of like I don't know how to describe the font that they use for it, but it's like kind of like scribbled almost, like scratched in the almost thing. Almost like it's like 
drawn in an oval, but like still has like edges to it. Yes, Not yes, like line, edges. Yes, exactly. Almost like um, it's like the monster had its claws and scraped it. Kind of, like yes. A piece of paper yes. or something. It's not a perfect font. And that was actually the one they used in 1951. I thought it was cool that John Carpenter brought it back and used the exact same font for the 1982 version. Well, as you know, John Carpenter is an awesome director. Yes, he is. And I love John Carpenter. And it was weird that the direct the, the man who originally wrote the thing... Mm-hmm. Did not really like John Carpenter's version of the thing. Yes. Was that the guy from... That's the guy who wrote it in 1938? The original um, man, I'm not sure if it, he was the writer or if he was the guy who originally did the movie. Yeah, my The original movie. But he hated it. Like, was he not, not a supporter like of it at all. He thought it was just like a gore fest. Yeah. He said pretty much, if you want to see gore, go see like any of the other movies that are out mm-hmm. back then, like... Friday the 13th or, you know, any of those other ones. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when this movie came out, we're going to just get this. We'll talk about this. You might not, you might know some of the stuff already about the thing, but we're just going to keep going through because there's so much stuff. It was, it was hated by critics when it first came out. Oh yeah. They didn't like it. Critics and most fans also disliked it. Like, you know, it came out again, a lot of people know this, but it came out the same time as ET and Blade Runner and uh, things like that. Blade Runner wasn't successful at the time either, but it's become a cult classic, much like The Thing has become yeah, a total Blade cult Runner classic. and The Thing both are definitely cult classics. Big time. Yeah. Big time. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's amazing that when it came out, people thought it was garbage. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, this sucks. And apparently, John Carpenter had a really hard time with how the critics reacted to the movie. Like, he, I think he had, like, a state of depression because he put, like, his heart and soul into the whole movie. And he, you know, thought it was going to be something really good, which it ended up being. Right. Which really, when I first saw it, I thought it was too. I thought it was something really good. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So it was. Well, yeah. Like you said, you put your heart and soul into it. I mean, these guys, the practical effects, the guy who did the effects, I could find his name here. I'm, Insane. I'm, I Such can't believe I don't see it right now. Makeup artist and everything. It's It was ridiculous. Yeah. He was like super good. I, I do have his name here somewhere. I feel like I need to give him credit. But anyway, the guy who did the special effects did it like seven days a week, like day in, day out, and apparently like had like health issues from it because he was working so hard and just putting everything he had into making yeah. the effects incredible, which, I mean, I don't think we're telling any tales out of school here. People don't know. The effects are kick-ass in this movie. Yeah, plus, I mean, I was I have done my little stint in theater so I've used latex. The theater. I've used latex and all that stuff. Excuse me? All that stuff can get, you know, chemicals mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I'm sure with him using so much stuff for makeup and everything like that, I'm sure that in itself probably was giving him problems with his health. So, and then hours upon hours, yes. I'm sure every day of him working, trying to get everything perfect, because apparently John Carpenter. When they brought him into the room, the the makeup artist, the guy who made all the special effects, um, he pretty much told him, he said, you know, are you going to be able to do a good job? They wanted to make sure they got somebody that knew what they were doing and was going to do the best. And John Carpenter put his faith into this guy. He did. Wanting him to come in and do all of it because I don't think he even really, he had, um, what is it called? When they have the drawing and storyboards, storyboards, that's mm-hmm. all he had when he came to John Carpenter to show him what he was thinking of 
as the thing and how it would react and how it would transform and stuff. Yeah. So John Carpenter pretty much said, it looks great. I want you to roll with it and show me what you got pretty much. And that guy who we can't remember his name to give him credit was only 23 years old. 23 years old. And he's doing effects that, you know, 30 years later are still considered some of the best effects ever put into a movie. If I do remember, though, he did have like a rock star style hair and like did he beard and stuff like all black i don't and, i don't know yeah. if i've seen him from any of the behind the scenes stuff but first before we get into the 1982 one i think we should talk a little bit about 2011 because technically even though it came much later it's the prequel so it tells the story before we get to the 1982 version yes and even if People didn't know for sure when it first came out. If you didn't know it was a prequel and you went to the movie, you wouldn't know that it was a prequel until the end of the movie because jumping ahead, the end of the movie actually takes place of where the beginning of the 1982 one. It was 82, I think. Yes. 82 it runs starts. right into it perfectly. Yeah. And they actually mix some shots back and forth at the end of the 2011, the thing. Which I thought was a great idea. It, it gave it great continuity. Awesome, awesome continuity. You know, I, just, I have actually a kind of funny story real quick. When I went to watch the... So, obviously, I've seen the 1982 John Carpenter version a lot. And I went to watch the 2011 version for the show. I was like, I should probably see what this other one is. So, I at least can talk about it coherently. And I put it on. I was using this program called Cody. You may have heard it. It's on the Xbox One. Yes, I have. <laughs> Matt actually told me that. And I went on there and I looked it up and... I watched the 2011 version, no problem. Watched the whole movie. And then I was like, all right, now I'm ready to watch the uh, the 1982 one. So I put that on. It was like the next night. I turned. I looked it up. It said the thing, 1982, the, the proper length of the movie. I hit play on there. Okay. It comes on, and it starts with the snowy Antarctica and everything. And it starts with the helicopter shot. And I'm watching it. And I'm going, damn, they did do an incredible job of these two films Be ending and beginning and looking Linking perfect them together yeah so i'm watching it a little bit longer you know as the intro is coming in and then all of a sudden i'm like wait a minute this is the 2011 version again <laughs> even though it said the 1982 wow, so good <laughs> they did a perfect job i mean it looks exactly the same and it was the 2011 version yeah he just someone it. put it under the 1982 version when it played Oh, and I how did. How dare they? I know. How dare they? In the beginning, I mentioned that um, this podcast was kind of like a long time in the making because he, we're recording here in New Jersey and we went to record and three times we had to cancel because of epic blizzards, Antarctica yes. blizzards rolling through New Jersey. The thing was coming to it, New Jersey. <laughs> it pretty much was. We're like, damn it, we have to cancel again. We're like, what is this? We're getting this Antarctica weather here screwing up our podcast schedule. And like... Today, tomorrow, and I think Friday is all supposed to be rain. So I know. If it would have been colder, it, we would have been out of luck again. It could have so. been the fourth blizzard in a row to knock out our... But we're here today. This very day here. Today. Finally recording. So what's your history with the 2011 version? I saw it not when it came out in 2011. I saw it maybe two years later in 2013, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously it was already on DVD and, or Blu-ray, whatever it was at the time. When I first watched it, I didn't know, because I didn't do my history on it, I thought it was a prequel. I didn't know it was the... I mean, not a prequel. It is. I thought it was a sequel. Okay. 
and I didn't realize it was a prequel. So I started watching it, and like I said earlier, you wouldn't know really unless you were really, really in tune with the original thing and like had watched it recently mm-hmm. to know about you know the Norwegians, and, yeah, exactly, and yes, the Americans. Yes. So when the end of the movie came, I said, "Oh my gosh!" I said, "This is this is taking place before," and I didn't know that. And then of course, you know. I looked it up on Google or whatever, and it said, yeah, they made it as a prequel. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, it makes more sense now, obviously, because they did the one thing that they did really good in the prequel version, the 2011 version, was they were very set on making all the all the houses and all the buildings. Yeah, the laboratories and to stuff. To exact proportion of the 1982 one. Mm-hmm. Like, I know... They said, and I was um, watching something on it, and they said, you know, they the only way that they could know how big the doorways were and stuff was from Kurt Russell when they were doing stills. They would go through and watch the original thing mm-hmm. or the sequel, take it or leave it, you know, and they would go frame by frame and see how people were standing. So they knew exact the uh, replicas of the buildings. Dimensions and yeah. stuff to build it. So this way, when you watched it and you did know that it was a prequel, you would say, oh, yeah, that's how that happened, and that's how that happened in the 1982 version. Right, like certain people with the wrists cut and yeah. the monster, two-faced monster. We'll get to all that. And now when I watched it, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was obviously nowhere near as good as the original mm-hmm. um, because of they use a lot of CGI. It was yes. 2011. They were already in the CGI movement, you know, which everything is now, which even at the time before knowing – which we'll get into, you know, in a couple minutes of what happened to the prequel, the 2011 version with mm. the CGI and the yeah. real stuff. Even back then, I was like, the CGI wasn't that great. And I was kind of disappointed yeah. that, you know, it wasn't how the original thing was. Mm-mm. It looks sci-fi level in parts, like sci-fi yes. channel level. Like bad when sci-fi channel really sucked back in the day. Especially yeah. the ending. Yeah. Which it, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. You're talking about the part with the crazy uh, geometric, like, Cubes. cube figures moving around. When when they had a super sick-looking alien that was driving the ship, was it? Or the pilot or whatever of the ship? It was, was supposed to there? be the pilot of the ship, and yeah. but it wasn't flying or nothing. I think it was just there. I think, not giving too much away. Yeah, this is spoilers. Spo- yeah, totally yeah. spoilers. Um, the alien, or the thing, had the pilot captured, and he was there in, supposed to be in that little like stationary thing so wait a minute are you telling me that the thing that's attacking all the humans also took over the spaceship i yeah so it also attacked another alien race from what happened from what i read and if i'm remembering correctly and podcastia can you know jump in and chime me in if i'm doing it wrong but i'd cast you haven't heard that in a while yeah that's why i brought it back (laughs) (laughs) apparently the alien ship was not the thing's alien ship oh my god this thing is a total parasite the alien that they showed which then they did not show in the remaking when they which changed with cgi that was the actual captain of the actual alien ship apparently they captured the thing those aliens were going around taking oh, different specimens. and They got captured, the thing. They captured the thing. But when they crashed. The thing broke out. 
Oh, okay. Yes, and, and did what it started it does. taking over everything, and that's why the ship crashes on Earth. Okay. And the thing tried to escape on Earth, but got stuck in the ice, and froze, and froze. Right. And that's how all this crap starts taking place. So the thing is like a super predator, basically. That can just it obviously you know what it is if you're listening to this the thing mimics everything life forms yes so it can mimic other life forms aside from just humans that's yep. interesting well it mimics the dog so right Jesus Christ this thing goes deeper than I thought <laughs> this thing's incredible it's like so, an onion <laughs> it really is <laughs> I thought the 2011 version was in terms of I came into it with very low expectations because of how much I like the original, the, well, the, the 1982 version. I came into it with low expectations, and I have to say it, it, it exceeded my expectations because it still gave me some of that paranoia and dread that you get that's so yeah. well done in the first film. And you get definitely a sense of that. It's, it's shot well. I think, you know, the CG aside, it looks good. Um, the lighting, the acting is really good. Yeah, and you you've told me before about the actors. In yeah, there. they had all Norwegian actors that were like the top of the line actors um, at that time. I mean, I don't know if it's changed, but all the actors that were Norwegian are from Norway, and yeah. they were all the high actors at that time. Yeah, most of the cast. And is I Norwegian. agree. I agree. The acting was good. I'm not. Yeah, saying it the is. Acting wasn't good. Even the uh, the American actors, the mm-hmm. the one that plays Kate, and then the one that plays uh, well, there's two more. Thing. Yes, there's there's the like pilot. two soldier guys, yeah. and then the what is she a botanist or something or other? I think so, something like yeah. that. Biologist, I don't know what she is. The girl character, they all did a good job. Um, I have no problem with that. There were some things though that, like, I mean, we can go into like little details about the movie, but like when the movie ended, I liked how it did some of the tie-ins, like you said, into the next, um, the original thing in 1982. I liked some of the tie-ins that it did. I thought it was a really cool idea to explore what happened to the Norwegian camp. That was an interesting idea. I was totally down with the idea of it. And I said the paranoia was good, but I still had sort of like an empty feeling when it, when it finished. And it's hard to describe why exactly I felt that way, but almost I was like, well, and in a lot of ways it was just kind of a carbon copy of the first one, which I guess I expected. I expected because, it's pretty much both of them would have to be similar, right? Because Norwegians were the ones that find it, right? And then same thing, it escapes, and all the chaos ensues, and the same thing happens in the American camp, except that it's with the start of the dog, obviously. Which right? I'm sure everybody knows. I'm not really spoiling anything, no, unless you haven't seen any of the movies. And then that point, you, you shouldn't be listening to this right now. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't know. It just, it, you know, I actually think I've warmed up to the 2011 version uh, post seeing it. Yeah. When I first saw it, I was like, oh, why? Why? You're like, decent movie, but why? And then I think it is, because it's been like, what, over a month or something? Because like I said, with all the blizzards here trying to record this, I've actually grown, I think, to have more appreciation for the 2011 version of what they were doing. I agree. Because I, I do think that they were successful in a lot of the things they tried to do with the script and everything, but where this, I mean, dude, the reading, problem reading is about this, it. And the one biggest problem it's the CG. really, yeah, the, it's really the, the big problem. And if they would have, it's a major problem, major problem. It's a major CGI, major problem. 
they had this company, I forget the name, that did all the animatronics for the 2011 version, and it was all going to be practical effects. Real stuff that the actors can really see in front of them and react with real terror yep. to seeing these gross things and tentacles shoot out and fluids and be real grossed out. Because I'm sure seeing that stuff happen in front of you, even though you're sitting there waiting for them to shoot and you've seen it, you're used to it. When it starts to explode and like eyeballs are popping out and, and you know, like weird insect like appendages, you'd be like, oh, God. So you almost don't even have to act, you know, like you'd be really freaking out. It well, gives you some reaction for even, sure. Even if you know you're acting, when you see something start to happen, you are going to have a reaction to it's it. It's genuine. Yeah. You actually react to it as opposed to seeing someone stand there with like, I don't know how they do CGI exactly, but with somebody you know, in all blue. Right. Exactly. Like Green Man sitting there. Yeah. And you're just like supposed to freak out it. Like, okay, the one scene that guy's head tears open in the helicopter, right? Yeah. That scene looks terrible. Oh, it does. It looks terrible. Now, what the monster does when it rips open and then like shoots out all the tentacles and attacks the guy, that's gross and scary, but it just looks fake. Oh, it looked extremely fake. And can you imagine how it would have looked if they would have used practical effects and having this guy, because you're close quarters, you're in a helicopter. Yeah. He's sitting right next to you. He's sitting like a foot away from you. Terrifying. And if they're starting to do all these crazy things happening. Yes. Like we said, Oof. you're going to get that reaction. Yeah. And it's going to be so much better. And it's going to look better, I think, when you get into small spaces and you try to do CGI. I think it's harder for them to cut out any glitches or anything that they're doing. You know what I, I mean? I think that makes Is that maybe why like Jurassic Park holds up so well? Because they're way out in fields and stuff like that where it's not like right up next to you. The closer you get to something, like it's the same thing with video games. Ah, that's an interesting point. On video games, when they make the pixels and stuff like that from far away they can make it look like a real tree but the closer you get into it the right. more squared it becomes because they can only use so many pixels per inch yes on each and your attention piece. to detail is going to get really defined the closer it gets yeah like in jurassic park going back to that the close-ups of them when they're touching the dinosaurs or the dinosaurs are right up in their grill it's like animatronic dinosaurs yes. So it actually looks real in front of you. But the ones of them across the field and running, that's CG. And it looks still pretty good, even to this day, Jurassic Park. But the human eye, you, you, we catch on to the stuff. You know, I mean, everybody listening has seen movies where they're like, oh, that looks so fake. You know, some CG. And some of the, probably the best CG, probably one of the only good sets is like Skywalker films. Like the, the Star Wars movies. Okay. Skywalker films, are they're kind of like the... I don't know if that's the actual name of them, but they're um, special effects company. Oh, okay. Star Wars movies, especially the last ones, have been really good with their special effects, but that's what they're known for. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. They're putting millions and millions yeah. and millions of dollars into it. When you go to another film that doesn't really probably have that budget. Yeah. And plus, two, they were going back to how we started this with the CGI and how it was the only really bad part of the movie. Major of downfall. Of 2011. Major downfall. They had it set for all of it to be... Um, practical. Practical. Yeah. And they had everything going. And they actually went through the movie and they had the movie made in all practical effects. Mm-hmm. The actors had gone through it and they had done all their reactions with the, the, the real practical monsters. And I've seen footage of them... I have too some of the behind the scenes stuff. Scenes, and it looked really good. Yeah, it looked good. Really good. And then they show you how 
They Apparently, it was it. the studio had problems with it. They're like, this is, it looks kind of 80s ish, and this is 2011. And they, they got it, they had it done, and they sent it to be, you know, um, what is it called when they sent it to be watched for a test audience? Test audience. They didn't like it either. That's a and shame. The studio was like, it's good, but we want you to go back and do all CGI. Yeah. And the, like, the director was real upset about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, the company that put, their blood, sweat, and tears trying to make a God's honest right on. They want to make on par with what the original one was. Like these guys were. That's what they wanted to do. The special yeah, effects we guys. Wanted they wanted to do just do, as good, if yeah. not better, and prove that, you know, we want to honor the original with great effects in ours. Yep. Great practical, everything real made. And then to see it covered up with CG must have been heartbreaking. Just heartbreaking. And it's, it's the Achilles heel to this movie is the CG. The part where I really was like, ooh, it's near the end. And one of the characters' faces is on the front of like the big insect monster when it's attacking people. And it looks so cheesy seeing this gigantic insect, awful, gory monster that randomly has the like, shell of a human face on it looking out at you. I was like, that just looks terrible. That's no, at the very end. Oh, yes. When, when the character who's Kate, who's the heroine yeah. of the film, goes into the spaceship at the end, and that's supposedly the thing, which is horrible, because it wasn't supposed to be like that. Yeah, the original, really disappointing. You know, practical effects looked much better, ten times better, and then they changed it all to look silly, really. Yeah, they did. Now, I feel like the thing in the 2011 version, the actual monster, I feel like it reveals itself unnecessarily at times. Oh yeah, the the 19 or 18 1982 version was much more stealthy, much more stealthy because that one wanted to survive and procreate or whatever it does, spread and simulate everybody. It wanted to stay hidden at all costs, pretty much. It only came out if it was more or less forced to, or it was caught, or. Like at the beginning, it came out only because it didn't think that nobody else was around. It didn't think anyone with was going to come see it. Yes, the, in the in the dog pen in the dogs. Yes, it didn't think anyone was going to come. It was kind of caught in the act. Yeah, yeah. Where I feel like there's parts in the 2011 one where it reveals itself unnecessarily at times, and I was just like, oh no! It's like for the sake of, of being a monster it, movie, it does it prematurely. Yes, because as soon as it thinks it feels some sort of danger, it attacks whoever is supposedly. You know, yeah, making it, you and know, it's so much better staying hidden. Like I was really like disappointed. Like I think the one part when it's uh, it comes out of the one scientist girl in the 2011 version, I was like, "Whoa, you didn't need to come out that quick." Like they were trying to figure out a way, like to who it may have been, and you revealed yourself right away. Unfortunately, that scene was one of the like very predictable scenes because as soon as the scene that we're talking about is getting in towards the middle, I guess of the 2011. It's once they know for sure that there's people amongst them that have it. Yeah. Have it. It's kind of like a virus or something. You know, she's trying to, the biologist or the, you know, the scientist is trying to get Kate, who's a heroine, to, you know, get everybody kind of like locked down. Well, she's, and she also separates her and follows her to a room where I guess she probably was going to try to assimilate her. But yeah. she reveals her, the monster reveals itself and she's able to like get away. She's like, oh, come on now. It's just, I don't know. I feel like it, Sometimes went for like that Hollywood scare, like monster yeah. reveal, rather than the stealthiness and the paranoia of not knowing who it is until it has to be revealed. Yeah. I felt was a really big element that they sort of 
they were just a little too quick to let go of. Now, they held on to in certain parts, like... 1982 version, we have, obviously, the classic blood scene, the blood test scene that everyone likes. It's probably the most famous parts from that. Yeah, A great high-tension scene. The 2011 one has the molar scene, where they have the, you know, like you've got fillings in your teeth and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And that was, I knew they were going to probably try and find some way of testing, and I thought that was a cool way because the thing can't replicate synthetic stuff. Materials, yeah. Yeah. So they checked their teeth to see if everybody still had their fillings, and the people that didn't, they like moved them aside and separated. They still weren't sure who was who. Yeah, because they were able to start eliminating even one of the characters, which I think is um, Kate's like good friend, I guess from uh, the school that they went to. He even says because he doesn't have any fillings, so he gets put in with the guys that don't have any fillings. Right. He, he even says to her, he says, well, what about people that have good teeth? Yeah, you like, know, just because I floss. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. He's like, he's like, why do I have to go stand next to them who could be monsters just because I've flossed? Yep. You know, like, that's bullshit. And that's just adding to the tension. But the good thing they did there was they made it that it wasn't just one person. Like, not it's not like everybody had their fillings and then one person didn't have fillings. And that's the way you know that he's the thing. Yeah. No, they had, like, three guys over there. So you could have been any one of them. And in the one scene, know. she saw the fillings and the the shower, yeah. so she knew someone was the thing, yeah, because it had dropped out the synthetic part of the body. So my question to you is: Can the thing be in multiple bodies at once? Yes. Okay, it's not just in one; it can spread. No, and that's what it tries to do. I think the whole point of it is to spread, it's spreading, and to go. Because I think I was a little I, confused I, on that for some reason. I'm I was pretty like, sure Wait, it's, it's only in one. No, it, it's. Because that's why it tries to spread at the beginning right, of the right. 1982 one with the dogs. It's it tries quickly, to get yeah. them all. This is more they can get. The more the more people it takes over, it's if it takes over everybody, it's one. Right. And everybody's kind of pretty much dead. Right. Which is what so, they say in the 1982 one. Yeah. That, take Kurt, Russell, Kurt Russell's character, which is uh, McCready, says that. Is it, is it McReady or McReady? McCready. McCready? Yeah. Because I've heard conflicting things. I was like, I got I to gotta ask Matt what it is. Because I always said McReady. <laughs> Yeah, I'll totally say it wrong. One hundred percent incorrect, Mac Ready. Which another good like a burger factoid is the originally when they were going to shoot the two thousand eleven version, which was the prequel, they were going to try to use somebody to be Kurt Russell's brother, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that was one of their original script ideas. Glad they scrapped that. And they said it would be really hard to kind of get all that together. And to try to make that happen. Like, they yeah. didn't want to go that route. Because no, and I'm glad they didn't. First of all, Kurt Russell's character was like the, he was the hero. hero yeah. Of the and it would have been weird that his brother was at the Norwegian camp. Like yeah. It just would have, and they never mentioned it in the 1982. It would have exactly. been weird. I think that's the main reason why they chose not to, because it wouldn't make any sense. No, it wouldn't. Because you would think, because Kurt Russell's character, McGreedy, in the two, 1982 one, is actually hesitant about going over to see what the hell happened in the Norwegian camp. He didn't give. He really doesn't give a shit about a lot of stuff. <laughs> He's pretty much just wants to do his own thing. It, I feel like that's sort of. His but he character. takes charge. He does. He absolutely does. What's the other thing about the? Uh, we're going to get moved past the 2011 version. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when we tell you exactly what the main movie is about, which is pretty much uh, aliens come and land on Earth and. The Norwegians are the ones that find it. Yes. There's two camps in Arctica, the Antarctic. The Antarctica, yeah. Yeah. And the Norwegians are, they're both searching, just, do, just doing, you know, normal, I think it's just like mining kind of stuff. Like just uh, looking I, for I'm not sure whatever's what in doing. the ice. They're just searching. 
and Norwegians come and come across the spaceship. They find a signal. They, they hear find a, a signal. signal. Yeah. And then they end up um, their truck that they're in ends up falling through the ice, and which is where they find the alien frozen. But they all know it's an alien yet because it's frozen in a big piece of ice. And that's when they cut out that giant piece of ice. I'm not sure how they do it, but they move a gigantic block of ice. They don't show you. All they say is that they have the ability to do it. I guess they figured it out. And then they go to the next scene, which is where Kate is in America, I'm assuming. They are in America. And they have her fly in. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, her, her one friend comes and which brings the guy who's, I guess, in charge of the Norwegian camp or knows the guy that's in charge of the Norwegian camp. And they get her on board to come along because she's like the one of the tops in her field. For, right. Um, and then all he- hell breaks loose with the alien jumping bodies. And then in the last scene, it's the um, her like almost kind of you sense a little like sexual tension between those two. Like they might be an item, perhaps. Who? The the last guy, I don't remember his name, and Kate. Oh, at the yeah, end the- of the 2011 one. And she notices that his earring is on the wrong ear. Or wait, it's not even there. It's not even there. No, no, it's it's the air. What happened was. Wait, where are we getting this wrong? No, no. It the, the very end of the movie, how it ends is before it shows the scene, the famous scene with the helicopter and the Norwegians chasing the dog across to the American camp. Yeah. Um. It's the two Americans, Kate, who's the heroine, and the other American, the the pilot. Yeah. And the whole thing happens with the spaceship, and they get out of the spaceship. Yeah. And Kate, I think, has always known that the pilot was the thing because there was a scene earlier in that movie where the pilots and the other the two Americans are taking off crash. with the, the two Norwegian guys. And one of the Norwegian guys is the thing, but they don't know that. And Kate, that's when Kate finds out she's in the shower or something like that, or she's in the, the locker room. And she realizes that it could be anybody. Yeah. So she signals the chopper to come back down when they're flying away. Right. She doesn't gonna, want him to go. They yeah. were going to take the one guy. He needed medical attention. Yeah. Yeah. A broken arm yeah. Or something. She signals to them and he actually starts, says, we got to land. You know, they're signaling us to come back down. And the thing appears, which is the scene where you're talking about Rips where they're the head open. across from each other and the head pops open. Yeah. And looks retarded. And the helicopter apparently crashes like. 200 feet away or uh, like like 400 feet away or something and then the only guy who comes back from that is the guy the pilot at the end with her with the earring don't two guys come back i thought it was only the oh yeah it is two guys I'm two sorry. guys come right. back it is two guys because they put them right in the holding cells the two american guys yes. like the 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 soldier type guys yes I'm sorry. So anyway, getting back to the end, what you were talking about was the earring was um, after they come out of the spaceship, Kate and the pilot, the other American, he's in the, um, they're getting ready to leave. And she says, wait, I got to get something. And they go out of the truck that they're in. And that's when she comes back and she's got the flamethrower. And she says, you know how I know you're not human or, you know, how I know that you weren't human. It says it was your earring and he checks it and he actually feels it. But she says it was on the other ear. But I thought the earring wasn't there at all. I think oh. the earring was completely gone. Was it? I think so, because it was synthetic. Wouldn't it have dropped out? 
I thought he had it, but I thought the whole thing was that he put it on the uh, on he put the it on the wrong ear. ear. He didn't, and that's remember. what I thought she said. I thought she said it was on the other ear because I then, was I was watching. <clears throat> see, I'm forgetting exactly what it was. You might be right. I was watching it with Jess, and I picked up on that. Yeah, they, he told me in in the truck. I was like, "Yo, that the earring is in the wrong ear or whatever," and she's like, "Huh?" And then the girl in the movie points it out, and I was like, "Oh, it's the thing! Oh no!" Yeah, so she's screwed. All right, but. Which uh, goes to the point that, that you asked, can it be in multiple things? Because obviously she kills um, the pilot. Yeah. And then obviously later the dog is running out. And that's when the whole scene starts with the Norwegians chasing the dog to the American camp. And the yeah, dog that's crazy. Is the thing. That's crazy that it can spread so much. Because I always trying to always with like think of it as just being in like one entity. It can move one at a time. But it spreads and it's still like the thing. It's yep. all over the place. Now, the 2011, this is the last thing we're going to say about 2011 version, <laughs> is that it has a very strong female presence. Oh, yeah. I mean, the lead character is a girl. And there's also one other female scientist girl in it. I think those are the only two, though. But but obviously, she's our main character. So it's a very strong girl presence in the movie where she's yeah. the lead role. And she's more forward. And she's got a stronger... She's kind of the persona kind yeah, of thing. She's like kind she, of the leader of it, and yeah. she is not afraid to speak up. And she uh, she tells the you know the main guy that's heading all of this. Sometimes when he's saying he wants to do certain things, she's like, "No, I don't oh, think you should do that." Exactly. She speaks her mind, and then for he sure. gets pissed at her and stuff like that. Yeah, but, she's kind of like the I'm going to still call him McReady. He's kind of like the McReady of <laughs> yeah <laughs> this one. But what's interesting is so many movies that come out nowadays have really strong female leads in them star wars you know the wonder woman you've got even like hunger games has a strong female lead that's like the big thing in hollywood now is to have strong female leads and i have no problem with it at all if it's a good movie i don't care whether it's a guy girl whatever i could care less if it's a good movie but something interesting i didn't even realize about the 1982 version of the thing is after watching, I was reading about it, is that there's no women in the 1982 nope. one at all. At all. Maybe one of the dogs? Maybe. That's possible. <laughs> no one knows for sure. That's possible. The only time you even hear a woman's voice is when he's battling the chess master computer game. And it's a female voice, which is like John Carpenter's wife or something at the time. I don't even think because they, you know, they're constantly signaling for help, too, over the radios. I don't think any of the, they only get like two returning transmissions because obviously they get one because the one guy comes, no, he, no, he doesn't, nobody comes at the end, Mm-mm. but um, I think they do get two transmissions, but both of those are men. Both yeah, there's, there's absolutely zero female presence in the 1982 version. And I like that. I think it's, I, call me a male chauvinistic pig, send me e- mean emails, but I think it's a nice that the fellas get a film. But we just had a man's movie, a gory man's movie. Well, yeah. I mean, you think about it, too. Obviously, it was in the 80s, early 80s. So it's a guy's film yeah. a little bit, even though lots of women love the thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Like I said, I didn't even notice. <laughs> I didn't even notice there wasn't a girl in it until I was reading after because you're just so into the movie. I'm not thinking about genders and what's going on and any yeah, of that. The original but, does a great job of keeping you tuned into the movie yeah, because does. there's so much paranoia. It has great pacing. I yes. really like that. So... The reason I sort of also brought that up, that there's no females in the 1982 version, is there's no hint of any kind of a love story. Hollywood movies oh, yeah. love to put in even the smallest love story that has no point on the actual plot of whatever the movie is. They got to have some sort of a love scene or a kiss scene or 
you know, male, female starting to have some sexual tension like the 2011 one has just a hint of. They don't even, there's no, no guy, girl stuff going on in the 1982 version. It is pure testosterone, <laughs> testosterone dudes out playing ping pong, having fun. They're supposed to be doing like work in Antarctica. They're just playing ping pong, having a grand old yeah, time. I, don't, I didn't drink really see smoking what the Americans weed. actually did for work. I don't know. They just partied. Yeah. <laughs> played, played chess, got messed up and uh, drank their whiskey. And, but I like that there was. Because it's I, like I said, it's just so rare that you see a movie now that has no love in it at all. Yeah. No love. This is just a survival flick, pure and simple. So we are going to now finally get into the 1982 version, which is the classic, the beloved John Carpenter's 1982 version. But I think we should stop right now, and I think we should uh, take a listen. I had our good buddy, good friend of the show, Terrell Brown, who knows movies better than anyone. I had him record a little sound clip, and he sent it into the show. At least I, I think it was him. Can't be sure. But I think it was him. I haven't done any tests. Love Terrell Brown. I haven't Great done any tests. Yes. And so we're going to play that clip right now of Terrell Brown talking about his view about the thing. Hey, guys. Uh, hey, Phil. Hey, everybody out there in Podcastia. Hey. Uh, this is Terrell. Um, Terrell Brown, your resident film critic. He just hired. He says he just woke up. I was yeah. told you guys are reviewing a thing today. 1982 John Carpenter masterpiece. One of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Um, it is quite possibly one of the biggest disappointments in film history, known that this movie was a box office bomb and was completely trashed when it was released. Considering how well it's done, how well it's cast, how well it's directed, how like how ahead of his time the special effects were, how well it holds up today that this movie was like it, it, it had the it had the unfortunate timing of coming out around ET where we didn't want to see a terrifying alien anymore. We wanted to see a friendly alien like ET. So unfortunately the thing had you know, uh, the, the the bad luck of coming out around in the same year that E.T. did. And it got kind of just, it made no money. It it, it was it was smashed by critics. Um, and it's a masterpiece. I mean, first of all, it's, it's set in the snow. Anytime you put a hard movie in the snow, you got it. Yep. You got it. <laughs> I agree. Like, that's already from the jump. Um, one of my favorite actor probably of all time is in it, Mr. Kurt Russell. Um, there is no man greater on this earth. Then Kurt Russell would probably never ever <laughs> agreed. Um, he is John Carpenter's muse. Obviously, people know they work together numerous times. Escape from New York, Escape from L.A., The Thing, the Elvis uh, TV movie that John Carpenter made. Like there, they have a collaboration that's you know that's a beautiful collaboration. They make some of the best work, best art together. Um, this was actually a script that. Uh, John Carpenter didn't write himself. This is actually a script that floated around Hollywood. Somebody else wrote. And basically the studio was like, hey, you had a couple big hits. Uh, we're going to give you a film to make, you know, from an existing script. Do you want to take this film on? Now, one of John Carpenter's favorite movies of all time is the thing that came, I think it's called The Thing from Outer Space, which is the, or The Thing That Came From Outer Space, which is the original movie it's based off of. Because most people don't know, The Thing is a remake, guys. The 1982 the thing one. Yeah. is a mm-hmm. very successful, the remake. successful as in yeah. it has the central plot of the same film people in arctic uh find a spaceship alien comes kills them that is a central plot it takes a central plot and makes it its own movie it is a successful horror remake 
There is some, right? There are some. The thing is the prime example when it comes to being a successful horror remake. Um, like, <laughs> some of the gore gags in this film are, are, are still top-notch and will never be touched. Like, it is... The chest opening scene with the with yeah. the defibrillators, Great with the mouth and the teeth, uh, then the head coming off and going around us, around the room, and the the moment when Kurt Russell look, looks at a, a decapitated head walking on legs and eyes and says, "You got to be <laughs> fucking kidding me," and then float, flame torches it, blow torches it. It's, it's actually um, the other guy who says that. It is amazing. It wasn't Kurt um, Russell. Funny thing is also that was a uh, that was actually oh, you're right. yeah. he, that wasn't written in the script. Like he said, he should probably just we'll let Terrell slide say that. And it was funny, and it, and it worked, and it always gets a laugh. I seen a thing, um, theatrically once, I believe, for his thirty. He got that wrong. It could be the um, thing. Years ago, I was able to catch it in in the theater, and it was got a huge response. It's it's still like gangbusters when it comes to watching it with a crowd. I think that it is age is kind of timeless. Besides a little bit of the technology that they have with the computers, things of that nature, it's pretty timeless. Like it can be shown now and still have that effect. Because like I said, the gags hold up so well. Um, it's it, it no other film not many other films play with isolation and trust as much as the thing does now the thing is great for special effect monster effects course of life fine but the real hero here is the direction that makes you feel so claustrophobic while watching this film that you feel like you're in that arctic station with these men um with this team of men the scientists things of the nature of that and, and you feel like you don't know who to trust the movie is so well done with you not knowing who mm -hmm. to trust. It's amazing the way they play off that. Like, it's like usual suspects with monsters in, in the Arctic. Like, you don't know who to trust. You don't know who would have plots what's going to be. You don't know anything. It's fantastic. Like, it's so tense in regards to that. It is some parts where, as when I first viewing, when I find out who the thing was, I'm like, or at that point, I'm like, holy shit, I didn't know that was him. Like, I would expect it to be the doctor. I would expect it to be him. I didn't know it was him. I didn't know it was that guy. Like, that is awesome. Now, it is obviously it came out of 82. There's some hokey effects. Um, one where guy gets his head bit by the other head that opens up and uh, he kind of flays around in the air. You can tell it's a dummy, but I mean, it's still 1982. But even with that, it doesn't take anything away from the film. It's actually pretty charming for that. I feel Agreed. like um, the, the quick cut of a, of, a, of a just a dummy in the air, which is hilarious. Now, um, Kurt Russell is also um, in a movie with my boy Keith David, who is, I mean, just crushing it. Keith David is the, uh, the black guy yeah. from um, uh, who plays... Uh, from they live if you're in yes. that movie. Uh, he's what's awesome. his name in a child's child's yeah something about mary russell plays mcgreedy um, <laughs> he dead. plays child's they're basically the two people that end up alive at the he's, end. he's also I a voice actor in mass effect uh, thought yep. about that at Love the end what i'll get to in a minute but he actually does a lot of voice yeah, acting for uh, child's and mcgreedy just like two people who are just like man if i'm gonna i want them in my corner so bad like they're amazing it is so many quotable lines from this movie so many awesome scenes i have this poster in my house like, I have a frame poster of the thing in my house from the actual theatrical poster. That's how much this movie means to me. As a person who loves sci-fi and loves horror so much, the fact that the merging of this that hasn't really been done this good, except for maybe, like, Alien, Event Horizon to an extent. Like, you know, some... And, and this isn't even sci... This is just... I wouldn't even call this more... It's sci-fi horror because it's an alien, right? But it's technically just a monster movie. Cause there's no there's no sight there's no extra there's no space travel there's no you know advanced technology they they find a spaceship in the ice but that's about as far as it goes there's not really anything past that so it's technically just a monster movie set in the snow which is I mean Hollywood 
make more monster movies set in the snow, guys. Like, you know, please. Um, like I said, the ramping off the 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 the, uh, the twelve little Indian thing or telling Indian thing where you don't know who's the killer at some point and who's killing people and you know uh, it has husky dogs in it, which I think are amazing. I love huskies; my favorite dog, another plus. Um, what I love about this, and this is my own fan theory, and it's kind of been proven. I feel like after all these years, after more than thirty years of the movie being out, Childs and McCready at the end are the last two survivors. Supposedly at this point, uh, McCready kills the thing. Child McCready kills the thing. And they're basically sitting there and they're going to freeze to death. And they're saying like, you know, well, this is better because basically at the end, you still don't know who to trust. You don't know if Child's, I mean, we've been following uh, McCready. So we know as, you know, we know as, as the audience that McCready's, I guess, not the thing. We don't know that about Child's. Here's the thing, though. If you guys watch the movie and this is podcast, I don't know if Phil caught this. If you guys watch the movie towards the end, you have to remember a few things. One, McCready's filled those bottles up with alcohol. With, with, I'm assuming with gasoline, not alcohol. Those bottles that he were throwing that was like basically Molotov cocktails. The bottle that he gives Childs, I don't know if that is actually alcohol or it's gasoline. And that could have been McGreedy's way of finding out if he, if Childs is an, is an alien, is the thing. Because Childs doesn't take it. Mean, if I remember correctly, McGreedy doesn't take a drink of that. Also. I don't think he does. No, me neither. It's a good. Childs does not have any breath at the end. McGreedy's breathing. You see the the because mind you they were they shot this shit basically in a freezer the entire time like like a lot of the latex stuff they use for their um for their uh gag for the gore gags would basically like freeze up and and almost like you know they'd have to be redone again because it's so cold so at throughout the movie you can see everybody's breath come out of their mouth like six cents times ten you know <laughs> towards the end <laughs> Charles has no breath coming out of his mouth when he talks McGreedy does it's blatant Charles. No breath coming out of his mouth. Childs is the thing, y'all. Childs is the thing. Now, they both will throw, they both will freeze to death before anybody get there, hopefully. Like I said, rescue team is going to come, whatever the case is, but hopefully they both freeze to death. Now, we are aware that if you freeze the thing, you might be able to thaw it out. I'm not 100% sure if that, you know, if it's that type of thing. Um, they had a prequel, but I really don't count that as anything. It's it's also called The Thing. Came out in, um, I want to say, the late aughts. The late early aughts, like maybe like two thousand eight or nine. I, I, it's not good, um, <laughs> but yeah, this is honestly a masterpiece. Is one of my. It's probably my favorite John Carpenter film. Um, I, yeah, I can say that. With, with, with comedy. It's my favorite John Carpenter film, and he's my favorite. He's my top three favorite director. So when I say this is in my top ten favorite movies, I'm not joking. I have written f- like film studies on this film. Like I love this movie. Um, I suggest everybody go watch it. I can't wait to hear Phil's thought on it. Um, if he liked it, I really hope he does because this is a really important and really like great movie in my life. Like I, I can't stress enough how, I mean, I've owned it on every subsequent type of home media between VHS, DVD, and now I have the special edition Blu-ray that came out about two years ago. That was about $45. I brought it, I had it on pre-order, you know, like it is a masterpiece and I'm actually going to go see John Carpenter, um, next month at a uh, monster convention in uh, New Jersey, around around the corner from my house in Cherry Hill, and I'm gonna get him to sign the thing poster that I own. Um, I don't care how much it is, I'm gonna have him sign that poster because that, like I said, and, and a Halloween one because, like I said, those are my that's my favorite, one of my top ten favorite movies of all time, probably top two favorite horror movies of all time, and it stands the test of time, and it's a masterpiece, and that's it. Uh, just want to give you guys my thoughts on the thing. I love it. Check it out. Uh, if you have the chance, I would just own it at this point. It's amazing. Uh, and thanks for having me on, Phil. Bye.
Thank you, Terrell. Thank you so much, Terrell. Or who I think was Terrell. Good to hear your voice, man. He shockingly got the 2011 remake, said 2008. That's not Terrell. It's oh, definitely an imposter. Snap. Terrell would have known that. It's an imposter. And Terrell was just talking about the original 1982 one. He wasn't. He didn't say anything about the remake. No, so. that's why I'm convinced it's the thing. <laughs> no, he had a lot of great points. Uh, we were going to bring that up, is the 1982 version, when they film it, they filmed almost all of it in like 40-degree weather. Yep. So all that breath, it's real. They're really cold. The actors were complaining when they were there that they were freezing. And that makes for good, genuine, real... They weren't even acting. They were just cold. Yeah. So it just comes across as we are cold. You can see your breath. It's cold out. So, And you're, gonna, and you're doing, obviously, when you're doing movies, you're doing take after take. You're spending 11 hours a day you know, just doing scenes. And a lot of the scenes were outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sure... They were plenty cold making the movie. What's interesting is because a lot of sets can get really hot because you have all the bright lights and stuff like that. And it can be really hot on set. I've heard from just seeing stuff about movies in the past. And this one, it was cold. So they didn't have to worry about it being hot. But the, everybody is like shivering. And like I said, that doesn't even make you don't even have to act. Now you're just living it. So it's real. And it is just so much more believable. And it comes across on screen. Yep how believable it is. So I guess we'll just go through the movie real quick and we'll talk about it. And we also have uh, another sound clip from uh, Mr. Derek Batacek, who I think is Derek Batacek. We'll see. We'll find out here tonight on this very show. Oh, and I just wanted to throw this out before we go any further that if any new listeners are listening or any old listeners are listening, um, this show is an amazing show. And everybody should go back and listen to all of Phil's earlier shows from this day forward because he does such a good job and he's put so much time and effort into it. And I just wanted to point that out there and give you a little, uh, what's it called? What do you guys always say when you do a little uh, thing at the end of your a show? plug. Plug. Thank you. Wow. That came out of nowhere. Thank you, Matt. So I'm just throwing it out there. You guys should listen to all of Phil's earlier stuff. I'm so humbled. Very gracious of you, especially the UHF episode you're on. Yes. <laughs> Even though a lot of times I sound like I'm an idiot because I'm fumbling words. and I do, too. Yeah. I do, too. It's not a scripted show. No, it's not. It's not a scripted show. Uh, you know, the other thing about, again, the 1982 version, I love how we always have to try and say which one it is. A lot of the scenes, the earlier scenes when the paranoia is setting in, the actors didn't know who some of the other people actually were going to be. No, they didn't know. They didn't tell them until, obviously, they had the script. Right. They got to start working the effects and stuff. One, yeah. yeah. And they obviously got the heads up at some point because they got to know the scripts and all that. But for a while there, they tried to keep them in the dark about who was the thing. And I, that, again, like I said before about the cold, that just makes for real acting. Because if you're really putting yourself into this place, into this story, to acting... And these are these guys that you're working with every day. You're trusting them with your life working together in Antarctica. I mean, yep. it's I think it's 12 guys in the middle of nowhere. You have to trust these people to stay alive. And you all have your own jobs, pilots, this, that, ping pong players. And you have to li- depend on them. And now all of a sudden, you can't depend on anybody. So everybody is a threat. And I think that's really cool that for a while they didn't tell people who was who. Oh, yeah. They'd be shooting a scene and they'd be like, oh, yeah, by the way, you're going to die yeah next scene you're gonna rip open into pieces you're like oh damn it okay and i will say um what terrell said 
um he mentioned about the one scene with the chest opens up mm-hmm. and he's doing the uh not cpr defibrillator, defibrillator thingy yeah such a great scene and shocking and the way they shoot it and another thing practical effects back in the day like terrell also said he said they were so ahead of their time they were were practical effects and when you see it in the movie even seeing it now the 1982 version it looks good it looks solid yeah yeah it's solid it's a little dated but that's okay it was from 1982 that's to be expected it looks shocking i i mean i remember when i saw that scene the first time i watched it and my history which i didn't really get into is i watched the thing for the first time about like three years ago and i loved it immediately i really went into it with also low expectations i was like oh i always heard this like another weird uh, horror movie recent movie like um what was the other one when you started watching, uh, I think it was the Friday Thirteenth episode you did with Terrell, where you just started watching them, or was it was it Halloween? I can't remember. I just started watching all of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so finished the Friday Thirteenth, finished the Chucky. And, oh, that's uh, what it was. Terrell mm-hmm. was mentioning on the Friday Thirteenth where he couldn't get into it because he wasn't eighteen. And he said, yeah, how yes, bad he, he wanted had, to he see to, it. And then you just watched it the other day. Yeah. Like, uh, you streamed <laughs> he, it like a uh, pirated. Yes. He was like desperate to see it. I was like, yeah, I watched that the other day for the first time. <laughs> like you went through all that effort and I'd never seen it. Yeah. So I had not seen it for uh, three three years ago. I saw it for the first time and and uh, I loved it. Which is saying a lot because like we said, it's 82 and special effects back then normally you wouldn't think would hold up no but they totally yeah they do they do and they keep like getting better each time like each monster gets even more insane than the last Uh, back to the defibrillator scene real quick how they did that was the arms were filled with jelly and like other little stuff and what it was was they actually got a guy who was what is it called when you don't like a double amputee or something like that he only yeah. had like nubs or whatever for his so arms. His whole arm. He didn't have his whole arm. Right. So what they arms. do, and it's really careful in that shot, is is he's. It's actually kind of interesting if you really look at it in like in slow motion because at first he's doing the defibrillator on the guy's chest. The last one, because it happens so fast paced, you don't notice because it it's an exciting scene. He's actually pretty close to his stomach. He's not really up by his chest anymore. The last hit is right on his stomach, and it explodes into a mouth. Because it's the the thing is reacting out of gut instinct. I have to defend myself, and it turns into a set of jaw jaws, which makes sense to me. Defending yeah. itself, bites off his hands, which is the jelly stuff that they have on the double amputee. Oh, about. Uh, and he pulls, about, he pulls he pulls his hands up. Ah. You see the hands rip in, okay. yeah, yeah, into the jaw. And they actually, I think, I, if I had this correct, what I think I saw is they put like a prosthetic of the doctor's face over the double amputee guy and it's a real quick shot when he reaches back and his his arms are in half you're like oh like especially the first time you see it you're like whoa and uh and then it goes right back to being close-up shots of the actual doctor the actual actor you don't even notice it because it's happening so fast and it's a little bit of a wider shot when he raises his hands that are chopped in half and it's like I said, it's so shocking. You're not zooming in on the doctor's face and saying, "Oh, that's like a you know, like a mask over yeah. his face," because the double amputee guy. But that's so cool how they went to the lengths to make it look real and get someone who's a double amputee so that they could pull off the effects. Where now they just be like, "Well, let's just do CG of like his hands ripping in half," and you're like, "Oh, that looks really bad." Yeah. Fortunately, right. so let's run through the plot real quick. 
in Antarctica in 1982, a Norwegian helicopter pursues an Alaskan Malamut. Is that that's the like a husky, husky basically? And you're 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 talking about the 1982 version? Yeah. Yeah. To an American research station, the American team witnessed the Norwegian pilot accidentally blow up the helicopter. Which man, that was that such was a hilarious and doofus. so stupid. The thing is, he he gets out, he drops a grenade, but then he tries to pick it up and search for it in the snow. Leave it there. Yeah, don't worry about it. It would have really helped if he hadn't blown himself up. Maybe yeah. tell them more of like what's going on. Uh, the surviving Norwegian shouts at the Americans, but they cannot understand him. And they end up shooting him in self-defense. The station commander, Gary, shoots him. Because the Norwegian guy actually gets off a shot and shoots um, one of the Americans in the leg. Yes, he does. He yes, actually he really does. doesn't really shoot him like like hard. I think it ended up being just like a flesh wound. Oh, okay. Because the doctor only said, oh, you need you only need stitches because the guy's like complaining that right, he shot right. but Yeah, now, it, we actually, we looked up what the Norwegian was saying. Yeah. And he's like translated. He's basically like... Like get away from the dog. It's not what it's you not, think. Yeah, it's not a dog. It's, it's like yeah. it's it's the thing, something like that. So he's basically trying to warn him, saying more or less what you would think he was saying, but they have no clue. Unfortunately, the only two guys that were in the helicopter were both Norwegians, so they didn't know English, which is hard to believe because everybody in Norway knows English. Like everybody, I've been there. It, they do. American pilot R.J. McReady, no McReady, McReady. Uh, and Doctor Copper. Is that right? Dr. Copper? Or Cooper? Cooper? It's C-O-P-P-E-R. That's Copper, I think. Dr. Copper, (laughs) go and investigate the Norwegian base. Along the charred ruins and frozen corpses from 2011 version, (laughs) they discover the burned remains of a malformed humanoid, which they uh, bring back to the American station. Their biology... Yeah, I know. Bad move. Their biologist, Blair autopsies it the remains and finds a normal set of human organs now that actor who is blair is great but you may know him better from his <laughs> liberty medical yeah. commercials yep. that were on i think in the either 80s or 90s i forget i know i was a kid unfortunate and he was always telling me about getting the diabetes and how you could get medical coverage for your family if you got diabetes. Really look that much different either. Liberty Medical. I know he he sounds exactly the same, looks the same. So he checks it over and he's like, you know, this is weird. It looks like normal. Like I forget what he says, like kidney, intestines, whatever it is. He's because he's cutting organs. into it and he's looking into it. And he he's yeah. actually comes to term to, to realize that it's like making new flesh and new bone and everything underneath it. Yeah, right. And that's the. The corpse that they bring back from the Norwegian camp, that's the two-faced, yeah, burnt-up freak one that you see again. in the, yeah. oh. uh, Clark kennels the husky where it soon metamorphoses and absorbs the sled dogs. That's crazy how it shoots out the tentacles. That was such a great scene. Oof. And that was a big scene, too. That was a lot of, um, I was going to say special effects, not special effects, a lot of practical effects in that scene. And I believe that's actually the only one that the... If I, if I, like I said, if my research is correct, I could be wrong. The guy who did all the effects, I think that's the only scene that he didn't do. He had his team of guys do that one. Oh, the I dog one where the tentacles shoot out and start catching the other dogs. Not to take anything away from him, but just no. that there were, there were a lot of talented people on this. Uh, so it absorbs the other sled dogs, um, but the dogs start barking, they're yep. flipping out, they're crying. And then the, the guy who takes care of the dogs. Yeah, Clark. Yeah, Clark comes in and... 
The disturbance. Oh, the Jesus. <laughs> the disturbance alerts the team, and Childs uses a flamethrower to incinerate the creature. Now that they're kind of leaving some things out. Yeah. He walks in. The guy Clark, like you said, takes care of the dogs. Walks in and sees just one of the most dramatic, horrifying things you could probably ever see. Like stumble even, into. I don't even think he actually really sees the full thing because it's dark in there. I think he only sees some of the dogs that are. It looks like they're getting hurt because he comes back in. With, um, I think it's first McCready. Yeah, he goes and gets him because he's he says, uh, I like I don't know what's in there, but it's really pissed off. Yeah, but I think it tries to shoot like a tentacle at him, and he like slams the door shut yeah. like in reaction. Yep. So he almost got got right there. Yep. Um, could you imagine walking around the corner and seeing that? Oh my god! Like like again, the first time I saw this movie, I didn't know what the hell it was about. I literally knew nothing walking into this film. And the first thing I see, tentacles shooting out the dogs. I was like, oh, what is this? The, this movie has great repeat viewings, but the first time you see it, the, some of the shockers are unbelievable. And there's no way you're going to see everything the first catch, time around. Catch everything no. the first time no. around because there's so much going on. Yeah. And when Childs comes in with the flamethrower, because I believe they shoot guns at it. They do. They shoot, try to shoot it first. And it doesn't and it, really do much. They make, you know, they cry and stuff because they're, because I think they end up shooting some of the dogs that aren't uh, changing. Yeah. And okay. that's when um, Clark gets pissed. He's like, no. And he tries to stop him. Yes, he does. And then McCready's like, light him up or, you know, set him on fire or something. And Childs comes in with the flamethrower and yeah. he actually almost like delays too long and is yep. going to get attacked by the tentacles because he also walks in and was like blown away. And they're like, just shoot it. And he shoots it, and very quickly they run in with um, extinguishers, extinguishers and put it out. I would have let that baby burn. Are you kidding me? So they real quick run up and put it out, and the the thing makes like screeching, awful sounds when it's yep. on fire, and even when it gets shot. Blair uh, performs an autopsy. I can never say that word. Autopsy. 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 On the new creature and learns that it is perfectly imitating the other organisms, the dogs and whatnot. The recovered Norwegian data leads the Americans to the gigantic excavation site yep. that contains a partially buried flying saucer. Which, surprisingly enough, they don't do anything with. But, obviously, they wanted to do something because in the prequel, they do a lot more. Yeah, they address so. it much more. And they also discover a small um, human-sized dig site, which is the cube where they basically got... And the thing is, too, is that the, the this movie does such a good job with the storytelling is that they show that early on in the movie that they find this they do and stuff, they do but you don't really think about it again no you really don't like, i it's not it's not like i was upset that they never never went back to the spaceship yeah because i like i was kind of like out of that area when they came back and all that stuff started happening with the camp because you're so focused on who is it yeah i very happening. quickly forgot that it was like an alien movie, like Terrell was kind of saying, it's more of just like a monster movie. Yeah. When I was watching it with my wife, I remember she was like, oh, I mean, like the gore is good. She was like, but it was an alien movie. Yeah. And I was like, what? Well, yeah, I guess you're right. And the, but to me, it was more of like a monster movie. That sci-fi kind of got lost a little bit. Yeah. And the cool thing is, is another thing that uh, Terrell said is that whenever you put anything in the snow, it's great. And it's also good, too, because they're trapped. Big time. Like once you know they had problems with the helicopter and stuff if they have no helicopter they're not going to drive in a truck or in this like big truck it's not built to where are they going to go go off of like 
200 500 miles to some like town it, yeah there is no town they're not you, gonna go they're, anywhere they're flying or they're or you're staying there that's it so yeah no there's nowhere to go on antarctica there's no, no there's no hip town that you can go chill out on the weekends and have Eskimos. a beer I mean, yes you can play ping pong at the laboratory but there's nowhere else to go you know so yeah, yeah it's it does do a great job of isolation uh norris estimates that the saucer has been buried for at least one hundred thousand years yep Blair grows paranoid about his diabetes now, about uh, the creature that the creature could assimilate could assimilate all life on Earth in a matter of years. Now that's one part I love that computer figuring out all the formulas and like printing out the text in front of oh, you. Yeah. Very eighties computer, loved it. Well, it's great too when they when he is going through and he gets the blood samples from the dog. And how he figures out how it actually replicates. Like, it's literally... It wasn't like, dead, right? Like, like Pong. Like, old <laughs> yes. school, like, cubes. Like, and it shows the blood, like, going, like, inch by inch to the other thing. And, like, you couldn't tell. I mean, I'm I'm assuming that because of back then, they knew how the computers worked. So, they knew what it meant when it was doing that. But obviously, nowadays, you know, they have the stethoscopes and all that stuff that is like just so much more advanced that you can get up close like to like there's so much magnification now of you course yeah exactly dna molecular yeah microbiology yeah it's just so it is so vintage 80s i don't know why i said it like that 80s 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 i'm the thing that uh I, re- I really like it i appreciate it it does and yes it looks dated but i appreciate it because that's what it was at the time that's what computers look like at the time i love it um so yeah he says that in like three years or something it could assimilate all life on earth so he's looking at the big picture mm-hmm. they're like oh shit this isn't maybe just our small situation like what's going on our, our sense of danger here this could be essentially a, like a terrible worldwide issue so the station implements controls to try to reduce the risk of assimilation the dead creature assimilates an isolated Bennings, uh, but Windows interrupts the process. And this is one of my favorite scenes. Bennings, they're they're by the radio because this is before when they were checking the radio. Yeah, and they can't get any other contact. Yeah, they can't get anybody to respond to them. Which I think is actually a departure from the 1951 version. Actually, think of the 1951 version. They can have contact with the outside world, but they are trying to contain the monster themselves so they have to act when they talk to people outside the station that everything's okay so it's a little bit of a different twist john carpenter decided to get rid of that and just have them be totally isolated no outside contact so i love that scene because windows leaves and when he comes back he's like does the slow pan he turns to his like left and sees bennings and bennings is like kind of bloated like his corpse he's like bloated there's like tentacles like wrapping around him and like oh it's really disturbing and of course he's like oh and like drops his keys or whatever he has and runs out of the room and mcready mcready damn it mcready mcready i gotta get that down they uh they run in to see him. They're like, he was here. I swear, he was here. And then somebody sees him. They look out the window, or McGreedy, I think they jumped out the window. I think McGreedy looked. They, I think he um, jumped out look, the window. It looked, it looked, jumped out the window because the glass is shattered. That's the only way that they know that anything even happened. Yeah, because they at first, um, I think they think the one guy that saw him getting replicated was crazy, right? Or could be the he go thing back or and something. Yeah, blankets back on the the corpse and all that crazy stuff. And then, um, 
And then that's when they look out the window and they see him walking out. Yeah, he's snow. like stumbling, running around, like kind of falling and over. Even the- at that point, they don't know that it's no, they don't. Thing they just think that, they, but they want to find out. Like, so, Bennings. Yeah. So they run out after him, and one of the best scenes in the movie, hands down. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of great scenes, but this guy falls to his knees, Bennings, and he's the thing. But he's not completely converted. But very quickly, he did transform like his upper body, his face and stuff, yeah. to look like Bennings real quick. It's actually it, pretty much just his hands. That one, he hadn't he finished was, the hands. He was holding them in his, his belly, and he was he fell on the ground. And he was, I guess he was arms trying folded, to yeah. cover them up. Finish, but, yeah. And then like, everybody came everybody out. Everybody came out. Him, so he kind of, he was like, yeah. And he's surrounded, and he pulls out his hands, and he's got these long... Like tentacle fingers. I don't even know how to describe them. Like spider like fingers. And he's like, I don't even know how to do that sound. That sound effect is so freaking good. It's in the very beginning of the show when I have all the different quotes. I I put in that that awful shriek that it does. I'm very interested by soundtracks and sound design. I mean, I've done a lot of podcasts about soundtracks and the importance of music and movies and stuff. I love that kind of stuff. It adds such an element that I feel like the casual viewer doesn't even notice. And that's a great soundtrack that you don't notice. You get emotional with emotional music. You take visual um, and you, and emotional cues from the music. And I'm super fascinated by that in film and media and video games and stuff. And that creature making that awful sound, like it's almost like nails on a chalkboard to me. Like it yeah. is not human i don't know what it is i really would love to know how the sound editors piece together that like what is it like they're like oh well actually it's like it's an elephant slowed down with like a lion like i wonder how they made it you know what i mean like it's so cool our bodies are just such like instruments for sound like we when we hear anything like it just sends our bodies into one you know feeling or another and whenever they have like such a you know suspenseful sound like that, and it's like I don't know something either if just because it's a groan or something like that, like it just gives you like a shivery kind of like you said nails on the chalkboard. It gives you cues thing. on how to react, and you just do it naturally. You don't even have to think about it. Which we're going to continue with this, but let's stick on the on the music and the soundtrack. Actually, let's talk real briefly about the music. I played doom, doom. way beyond. Yeah, doom, doom, doom. Played some of it in the very beginning of the show. It is so classic. Oh, yeah. You hear that song if you know anything about horror movies and John Carpenter. You know it immediately. Actually, this is a little story. Back when I used to do the Breaking Batacek podcast with Derek Batacek, who will be featured soon with his segment. At least I think it's him. And there was a a point when we were recording that show, because we did it for almost five years, that I had not seen the thing. And we did a, it was like Halloween scary movie music yeah. trivia. Trivia. Yeah. And I played The Thing. And Derek was like, oh, this is The Thing. And he was like, and everybody knows this. And I was like, I've never seen it. Like, because I hadn't seen it <laughs> yeah, at the time. Yeah. So I didn't know it. So, and I always thought when I heard it, I remember years ago when I heard it, I was like, what a boring theme song. I was like, this movie is going to be so boring to have a song like that. Because, you know, you got Halloween, dun, 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 you know, oh, yeah. some famous ones that jump right out at you. And it's like, oh, this, God, this one sucks. And now to know the movie, the song is perfect. It's very John Carpenter-esque. It's not John Carpenter, though. No. It was, but, um, it's, it's, I thought it was, but it's not. It's written by, like, Mancini, Mancini, whatever his name is. I can't pronounce it. Um, 
very haunting, very simplistic, and very almost under the radar, which is what the thing is. So I think it really envelops the idea of what the movie was going for and just works so well. The whole beginning of it it, um, is very nonchalant. Like mm-hmm. the the tit- like the sub like the it is the titles are very big, very plain. Like there's nothing like like jumping out at you. But it's like it's almost like um not inconspicuous, but um what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like you know like yeah. under the radar. That like, was exactly what I was to say. Like, like under the radar, you're not yeah. you don't even know really what's ahead. Something it's, is going to happen, but you have no idea what's going to happen right yeah, now. It's uh, it's just sometimes you just nail things. Things yeah. just fall into place. You could have had a different soundtrack that worked very well in the movie, but this one just man did that whew, just slid starts, right in there. It makes perfect. you feel like something's like lurking. Yes, something's lurking around. That's like, a great it's description. Like, it's like sneaky. Something something's going on. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect match. It really is. So what did I say here? The dead creature simulates into Bennings. They chase him out and they surround him and they they blow him away with the. McGreedy dumps over the uh, the can of uh, gasoline. Yes, you know, like it goes towards him. Yeah, they burn him up. Uh, this is when Blair freaks out. Our diabetes doctor. He f- sabotages all the vehicles. He kills the remaining sled dogs and he destroys the radio to prevent escape. He's the one who saw the whole three years will simulate Earth. Yeah, diabetes. He's, he's losing his shit. I, I understand why he's freaking out. I kind of hate what he's doing too because it's kind of like suicide what he's doing basically um in terms of isolating them and so the team imprison him in the tool shed they see no alternatives other than to lock him up in there and i think they tie him up too don't they no i don't think they tie him up they, they do leave him, him in there they loose him in there. they just they uh, bolt it from the outside okay. so he can't get out and apparently that's the only way that you can get out because it's his tool shed right and i don't think there's any i think they board up everything else any kind of windows they do anything. board it up they yeah. make it so that he cannot get out which i noticed kind of a funny thing actually when i noticed when i watched that scene too uh i forget exactly which way it works i think when you see them boarding up the windows from the outside they're doing it is it horizontally they're boarding it up and then there's a quick shot where you see them from blair the doctors inside looking outside and they're on the outside nailing it up vertically oh i didn't boards it's just a minor continuity thing that i noticed i was like wait 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 a minute it's either that way the vertical or horizontal i forget if it's on the outside or inside shot but either way i just noticed that a little fun thing i noticed um, so Cooper, Copper, whatever his name is, suggests a test to compare each member's blood against the uncontaminated blood held in storage. So this is going to be their idea to try and figure out yep. what's going on. But of course, uh, they learn that the blood storage has been destroyed. Yep. The blood was leaking out. And when, uh, I can't remember who opens it up. I think it's the, the, like the main guy, the, well, not the main guy, not McGrady, but the guy that shot the norwegian Gary. The beginning yeah yeah because he's the only one that has the key there were only two guys that would have had access to it, it was this copper cooper guy and gary copper cooper yeah copper cooper that's what we're calling from now on copper cooper and gary were the only two that would have had access to the keys so they start to lose faith and obviously both of them thinking of course this is where the paranoia is setting it could is it one of them is it both of them do they do it on purpose are they both things so McReady takes over, basically, sort of starts to take command now. They're like, you know. So McReady, Windows, and Nalls 
which I believe Nalls is the super sweet rollerblader. Yes, I think so. That was cool. When I saw him flying around on those old school, uh, did I say rollerblades? I meant to say roller skates. Roller skates. Yeah, they were old school roller skates. I was like, whoa. I, was, I really liked that a lot. I was, he had the superstition playing in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, he just, he just he turned it up louder. He didn't give a crap. The guy told him to turn it down. He turned it up louder. Shot in the leg. No, he's having fun. He's, roll, he's roller skating. The man. guy told him he got shot in the leg. He didn't get shoot, shot in the leg. but He's roller skating. Yeah. He's having a grand old time. Uh, they end up finding, I'm not going to pronounce this right, Fuchs? Fuchs? Do you remember that guy? I do not remember. They found his burnt corpse outside and surmised that he must have committed suicide to avoid a simulation. That's a pretty drastic thing to do mm-hmm. like that quickly. So people, their mindset is... Not good. I'm not sure how to describe it. It's people are losing hope. Yeah. They're scared, scared out of their mind. It's real bad. So Windows returns to the base while McGreedy and Nalls investigate McGreedy's disturbed shack. I believe that's where they see the light on. Yeah. And McGreedy's like, I didn't I didn't leave that light on. No. I know for sure. He wants to go a check shelf, it out. A shelf, he tells a shelf. He's gonna go. He said he tells McGreedy tells everybody to go back. He said he'll be back because he said his light's on, and he didn't put it. Remember, he didn't have it on, so he wants to go check it out. Yeah, and so on their return, uh, Nalls abandons McReady in the snowstorm, believing that he's been assimilated after he finds torn clothing in the shack, which I think says McReady. It right? says his name on her. Yeah. yeah. So what happened there? Was it just some random clothes he had taken off? No, I think um, what happened was apparently it was somebody that was the thing placed it there on purpose so that they would think. That it was McCready. Oh, that's sneaky as hell. That's intelligent. Well, they did it again. They did it in another one, another point earlier in the movie. I think because because um, Nalls finds it. Nalls finds it. The roller it, skating dude. And he, um, it was in like the kitchen or something, say, wasn't it? They say I found you know somebody's long johns. I think yes, yeah. but there's no name on it. It was ripped off. And so, I think he was pissed because so it, it was anybody's. thrown on like food or in the yeah. kitchen or something. It, says he was, it could like, be anybody's. So that's interesting. That the you tend to think of these monsters as just uh, mindless killing machines, but this one is plotting. Very smart. It's plotting. It's secretive. It's manipulative. I didn't even realize that with McReady's ripped up clothes that it could have been a ploy to to turn them against him when he because he knows he's still a human. That's interesting. It's it's almost one of those things. So many layers that. It's it's smart, obviously, because it's lived this long. Yeah. It's almost a thing where I think maybe it takes some part of whatever it takes over and it kind of knows some of your thoughts yeah. and some of your takes some of the intelligence from its host. And I don't think it says that anywhere or anybody is. It's your speculation. That. Yeah. I just say that it makes sense. But then again, if if you die when you're the thing and you have that, it doesn't matter because somebody else that's the thing isn't going to know that just because right. they're a thing you know yeah but so. it, it is able to take on your personality and your yeah. traits yep so it has to aside from just replicating your your organs your body parts your physical makeup it's also knowing your who you are that makes you a person like your your traits yeah it's like, how the, else am i gonna say yeah, the people your that, characteristics. Get, that get changed and that are fully things but you don't know the things they act like the person that they took over yeah pretty much so obviously they have some sort of understanding of how they talk and how they right. do everything else so creepy hmm. makes me feel 
Weird. Yeah. I don't like it. Creepy. Different. Yeah. <laughs> Little different yellow. <laughs> the t- do you know what that's from? Yeah. <laughs> nice. It's from Advil, isn't it? <laughs> it's from uh, Wayne's World 2. Yeah, but they, they take it off of... I know. Yeah. It's so Little great. yellow different. Isn't it a leave? Oh, maybe it is a leave. Yeah. A leave. <laughs> <laughs> I, we bought a leave the other day because my wife gets headaches all the time. A leave sucks. It didn't do a thing. No, it doesn't do anything. And she it's always... It's for like back pain or like... And like <laughs> yes. Like back or not just back but like like muscles. joint pain and stuff yeah she she uh she gets headaches all the time so i'm always buying her like advil and stuff like that and i was like you know you're still getting these headaches i was like why don't you try a leave <laughs> and she was like i'm willing to try anything and i was like they're little different yellow she was like okay <laughs> i was like oh come on um anyway so uh the team debate whether to allow mcgreedy back onto the base but he breaks in and holds the group at bay with dynamite. He is like frozen to a crisp real quick. And he looks like it too. He like looks cold. Like they probably just said, you know, Kurt just stand out in the snow for like 10 minutes. Cause he can barely move too. Yeah. Like he's real he's, he's up against the uh, thing. Yeah. And, and when he breaks in, they, they aren't able to get into the room cause they're waiting for him to come back to the door. He comes back to the door, McCready, and they're the, some people don't want to let him in. No, they lock because him they out. Because they think it's a thing. And some people say, well, let him in and we can take him out. Because we and don't so we, know. Yeah, yeah. everyone's and then, everyone's you know, turning on each other. There's the one guy that's always like, no, don't, because what if he's still human? And then, you know, like you said, they break in and, yes. and McCready's got the stick of dynamite. And yes. He says, Anybody comes near me, I'm blowing this whole place up. <laughs> right, <Yeah>. right. <laughs> yeah, Which dude. I would make me think that if, if, if McCready was a thing, I don't think he would want to blow everybody up. No, he wouldn't. And he certainly wouldn't want to blow himself up. No. Because he's got to self-preserve himself. But, I mean, he could be just doing that to, obviously, if he was the thing. Mind you know, games. Yep. Mind games. Everyone has alternative motives. The thing. Oh, my God. I mean, McReady, McReady is doing a serious Jack Nicholson impression from The Shining right there. Yep. When he comes in with that frozen face. With griddles. It really does. During the uh, encounter, Norris appears to suffer a heart attack. Yes. So he falls down. They're like, "Oh my god!" He's because they a heart try to attack. jump him from behind. Um, the the Knowles, the guy, the skateboarder guy, and another guy try to get Kurt Russell or McGreedy. They try to get him from yeah. behind and try to stop him, and he breaks them off. And he still has a stick of dynamite. And and uh, one of the guys is the guy that falls on the Norris, floor. Yeah, all the like, commotion he's like is having like a heart attack or something like that. He falls down, has a heart attack. Now at this point, you, I believed, expected the first time I saw it, he's a human. Because he's having a heart attack to a very stressful situation. So that seems like something that a human would do. Yeah. Uh, we're going to learn he's not, obviously. As Copper Cooper attempts to defibrillate, <laughs> defibrillate Norris, his Norris's chest transforms into a large mouth and bites off Cooper Copper's arms. The second time. Yeah, he gets him once with a defibrillator. And that's when, like you said before... Because it feels the pain, it it's almost it, like it a, defends itself. Re, it like reacts. A reaction, yeah. yeah. And it bites him to pieces, and we now know that Norris was actually the thing. Which you it hints at it because there's times leading up to that scene where they show Norris, and he kind of goes off a screen, and he like has like a he he gets he feels like almost like he winces, like he's under pain. Yeah, but then again, you could still be thinking that maybe. Something's wrong with him. That's not thing attached. And now there's but there's also obviously. a point. I think Gary before McGreedy takes over. I think Gary says, 
well, I don't think anyone would object to Norris being the leader. Yeah. And Norris is kind of like, well, I don't really like, he makes like kind of like a motion. Like, I'm not really interested in it. I'm not the guy. Like, I don't want to be in charge of anything. Right. And is he already the thing there? So he doesn't want to be making decisions because he wants to stay undercover. I don't know. I would figure that if he was the thing, he would want to make the decisions because this way he would be in control. Maybe Just like McGreedy is. When see, but maybe the, the thing is different. Like some things are very proactive. Other things just want to hide away. Maybe they have different. The thing has different personalities when it spreads. Well, the thing changes in the end of the movie when you, when we continue going on. There's a, actually a, like a little turning point where the thing um, is thinking of ways to either stay alive or get frozen again. Right. So it can yeah. come back and attack a new set of people. Yeah. So yeah, we get that great scene with the biting off of the arms and McReady, I like to call him that still, McReady incinerates the Norris thing, but its head separates from the body and attempts to escape before also being burnt. Great scene, which is another, like the practical effects were on point. And that really was like a creature they made that would walk across the floor, the spider legs it looked and everything. Like, it looked like it was actually really doing it. Yeah, it looks a little so. choppy, but it still looks really cool and awesome and it's got his head on there and it's like a nasty spider type bug yep and that's when the guy it's it's not um mccready it's actually the other guy the stoner guy who was smoking earlier yeah and he goes what "What the fuck (laughs) classic line uh they blow that head away so they kill that thing mccready is forced to kill clark in self-defense when he refuses to follow his orders yeah that's um coming up to probably the greatest scene with the blood test yeah and you learn that clark yeah. was still human at the time clark was still human when they do the blood testing and they actually start testing the blood with the hot wire um because mcgreedy pretty much says you know he, he took it as learning from the doctor the doc yeah from before talking right. about the blood and everything he said he, he pretty much figured out a way to tell if you're the thing or not pretty much he goes into saying that uh, the thing is because the thing is always regenerating and always like um taking on new forms like even the blood inside of the system is part of the thing yeah it's so weird and so like our blood is just like our blood it's not really like doing anything it's just flowing in our bodies but the thing's blood is actually a part of it yeah so if if you hurt it it's going to react it's all like one entity sort of yeah like it's all interconnected. It's not yeah, like separate so what pieces. They, he figures is that they get blood samples from everybody and they're gonna stick hot wire in the blood and yeah. whichever one reacts, they'll know that person is the thing. Right. Blood is. It's a great original, really cool idea. Yeah. Now when he does kill Clark and you find out that Clark was a human, first off, it kind of makes McGrady a murderer at that point. Well, that's what Charles says. Unintentionally or intentionally, I guess defending himself and everybody else i guess with the idea we also kind of think that clark might be the thing because the doctor suggested he's like keep a real close eye on clark because he's been closest to the dogs but was he already i just dropped something he was already the thing at that point wasn't he so he was trying to he was he was trying to manipulate manipulate. mcgreedy and the one thing that the only problem with clark getting killed is that he does try to he has a knife. he ends up getting scissors or a knife or something. He picks it up off the side mm-hmm. and he's he tells Clark kinda says um tells everybody to, you know, listen to McGreedy about doing the tests. And while he's doing that, he's trying to get yes. a weapon off the table to 
either stab McGreedy or something. Oh, yeah. Because at this point, they still think McGreedy is the possibly. Thing. Yes, yes. And so when Clark lunges at him with a knife, I mean, pretty much McGreedy just acts in self defense. He does. And, he does. Unfortunately, he just shoots him right in the head. Right. <laughs> so and he, he had made him. it right. He could have shot in the leg or something. <laughs> yeah. He made it very clear that, that you know, this is survival now. Every, every, nobody's safe. Yeah, I'll do what I have to be. I mean, when he came in with the dynamite, they probably should have realized that he was serious yeah. about it. But so McGreedy kills Clark, yeah. shoots him in the head, and so he theorizes that the Norris thing's head demonstrated that every part of the thing is an individual life form yeah. with its own survival instinct, like you said. So he tests the blood samples with a heated piece of wire, and everyone passed the test except Palmer. Now they're all tied down too, which is like kind of nuts. They're tied to each other. The ones that, yeah, the whoever they think is still the thing is tied together. And when they test Palmer, his the blood like jumps out of the like petri dish. Which thing. is a good jump scare. They did a good job. And because old school scares were a little bit better, because I don't know, it seems like they had the timing right. It was like wee, did like a total it, squeal. It happens quick. I think also too because. With CGI, you can make something happen at any time, and you can you don't have to worry about stopping the film and then starting mm-hmm. it at the point where it jumps. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Effects you sometimes have to stop it and start it like right, stop right. motion. Where CGI, you can just go and the actor can react and you jump at it. Yeah, but because it's like cut, and the next scene. Is like it happening, so it's more of like a jump scare. Yeah, and everybody freaks. Yeah, they're like, "Oh God, we found one!" Like, and then of course, as soon as that happens, now he starts you know shaking in the chair yeah. and starts transforming. Now the Palmer thing can now it, it's it's been exposed. Yeah, it, it, they know, so it might as well just turn into a creature and just start attacking the crap out of them right now. So it transforms and it infects the character Windows, and that's the one that Terrell, Windows is an idiot. I mean, because. Yeah, because right it starts. It, Windows has a torch, but he drops it. Oh right! I'm pretty sure he drops it because he's getting so afraid. He's so freaked out. Yeah, and McGreedy's trying to light his yeah his he torch, can't get it going, but it keeps yeah. on going out. And McGreedy's yelling at what's his name? Shades? Windows? <laughs> Windows. Shades? <laughs> and he's just like standing there, standing there, and like yeah, he's and, pretty much right in the line of fire. The monster and gets him. The monster like literally like his head opens up. And wraps around Windows' head. Which is insane. And just starts swinging around like and a rag doll. That's the part that Terrell mentioned. Yeah. Is definitely obviously oh, a dummy. It is very much. But you know what? Because I didn't notice it in, uh, until yeah, multiple viewings. Because it's quick and they do it in the way that works. You re- Like you said, you really don't notice You're it. in the moment. You're so horrified. Like maybe. Like, oh, God. Maybe more people would notice it now because a lot of people are so used to different styles of like movies like cgi and everything like that like you would say oh that's not real you know but i I can't imagine seeing this movie when it first came out especially in like the theater setting unbelievable i think that thing that would be great you know oh my god yeah i mean i watched it in my on my couch and i was freaking out i was like disgusted i was shocked at the parts like i said so yeah that's an intense scene and then uh they end up killing both of them mcgreedy burns both of them so Childs is left on guard while the others go to test Blair. Which is a shame because Windows really never really does anything bad. No. He's always kind of the nice guy. And he's the one that really sticks up for McCready. Yeah. Most of the time. I think he was the one that said McCready may still be the, still still be human. Don't kill him. Yeah, it's unfortunate when, when some and, people go, for and, sure. And he's just like off. Like after the thing chomps on his head a couple of times, spits him out. And 
he's kind of there on the side and just like twitching. Yeah, it's gross. And then when the cool effect when uh, McGreedy lights uh, windows, windows, windows. Yeah, yeah. I came up. He lights them on fire. It's a great effect because all of his his like legs are moving. He's like in the corner, but his legs are still squ- squirming. Yeah, cause, yeah, because he's like he's very much still human at that point, or yeah. looks human, right? Yeah, he's up against the wall. I think he's like pretty much like just at the beginning forms of transformation. Right, he has to get he rid just of got him. eaten. Yeah, he has to get rid of him. He's like infected essentially. You know, which I just want to stop real quick and just do a sidebar here. I feel like it's like a virus. I said before, like it's yeah. it's interesting because there are a lot of parallels for how people get with like plagues, like Ebola, a real life disease that happens in the real world. It's not some alien myth mythological creature or something. It's a real thing that happens, but also there's a huge sense of paranoia about big diseases like Ebola when it starts to spread when in 2014 in uh, West Africa it was a 14 it was 2014 when it started spreading and there was like people had crazy paranoia about it. they didn't believe the westerners coming in and their yeah. bubble suits they didn't believe them trying to give them um you know any of the medications and trying to keep them hydrated because they wanted to just do their old things where they would you know they would clean the bodies when they died and stuff. And then they'd get infected when they're told not to do that. They didn't believe them. So there's like a sense of paranoia. And then once it really started spreading, people didn't know if other people were infected because Ebola takes like five to 20 days to show itself. So you could be a carrier of it and have no idea and be giving yeah. it to other people. And because uh, I, I really am fascinated by Ebola again, sidebar. I've always Derek likes Ebola too. Loves it. Loves. It's a great drink. I always wanted to do a podcast about Ebola and talk about the whole history of it and all the different cases because I've like researched and read a ton about Ebola. It's one of my favorite topics to read about. I mean, it's a horrible disease. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, but I find it fascinating. Like that this, yeah, it's it sucks, and I love reading about it. And I found an interesting parallel between the thing and diseases like that. How. You can't really trust anybody, and you start freaking out, and are you infected? Are you not infected? Am I infected? And don't even know it, carrying this terrible disease where this you could be the thing. Anyway, again, yeah. just an interesting note of how it is kind of parallels real life in some aspects, this movie. And like most diseases, they pretty much do want to infect other people. Absolutely. That's their whole thing. Once to spread, yeah. yeah. Gets a host, yep, and uses you like a parasite and then moves on to the next yeah it's kind of freaky actually kind of a weird parallel there so Childs is left on guard and the others go to test blair like we said and then um they find that blair has escaped and he has been using the uh, helicopter components and or vehicle components to craft a small spaceship so when they go in there and they see that blair is gone that was like that freaked me out when i saw that because i was like oh god and uh, it was funny when they talked to Blair the first time and he had the noose next to him. I thought that was funny. I forgot that part. Do you remember that part when the noose when is next noose? to Blair? Yeah. No, I didn't see it. When McReady goes in to talk to him in the earlier scene and he's like, I'm fine. I want to come back in. Like, I'm okay now. There's a noose just randomly hanging there. I did not know that. Yeah. Go back and check it out. Nobody makes mention of it. It's not even acknowledged, but there's a noose hanging next to him. Like, It's weird. It's probably one of those things where... It's probably a mind game where... Maybe it was at a point where... You know, he was still human at the time. Maybe he was human but and he, he was going to kill himself. Yeah, but then, or maybe it was the thing 
putting up the noose to try to convince McReady that he should let him back in because he's going to kill himself. The manipulation is unreal. So anyway, they find out Blair's disappeared and he's been making this spaceship, which again lends itself to this is a very intelligent creature. And you're like, okay, if it's building a spaceship out of like common human helicopter materials, it's obviously very smart. And it did it in a short enough amount of time that it must be like sprouting like multiple legs, you know, to be able to build this thing quickly. It has to be, yeah. Because it, if it can, we might as well have 10 arms and be building it real fast, you know. So it's pretty freaky that it, you now know this is an extremely intelligent creature, for sure, beyond what you just thought of being a monster. Putting yourself in the perspective of the characters, you now know that this is a very intelligent creature. On their return, Child is missing and the power generator is destroyed. So they lose power. Yep. This is bad news. Not good, because uh, they kind of need that generator to stay warm and alive. Yeah, being in, like, didn't they say negative 40 degree negative weather? 40. That's what uh, McGreedy says at one point. Uh, yeah, so McGreedy speculates that the thing intends to return to hibernation until a rescue team arrives and reassimilate and take over those people and hopefully get back, you know, to somewhere yeah. out of the freezing cold and can kill everybody is what they're theorizing. So McGreedy, Gary, and Nalls decide to detonate the station and destroy the thing yep. kind of once and for all. As they set out with their explosive, Blair kills Gary. I'm totally forgetting that part. Remind me what happens there. They go down into, they go to where um, Blair is the doctor, right? Yes. They go to Diabetes. where he was, and um, they notice that um, when they go in, they notice that he's not there. Blair's okay. not there because they they're going there pretty much I think to kill Blair to find to find Blair right okay and he's not there when they go in and they said well, where did he go because okay, there's yes. no other way out there was no other way out okay right and that's right when right. they find he dug a tunnel all the way underneath ground and that's when they go under the ground and a lot of the other stuff happens where Blair ends up killing um, Knowles and uh, Gary. Gary. Yeah, he kills Knowles, but you don't see it. Knowles is off screen. Knowles yeah. just sort of disappears. Kills Gary first. Because yeah. Gary's Gary hears No no, Gary doesn't hear anything. I think Gary maybe does Gary hear does hear something. All the way off in like the background. Yeah, they all separate like buffoons. Yeah. When they go down there, before they actually go down there, that's when Kurt Russell says he which I said before, he said at the beginning of the movie, the thing is trying to take over everybody. Yeah. And that's how they're going to win. And so that when they, they can, he can call for help, have somebody else come, and then they can spread it throughout the world. Right. But then when they the thing realizes that the guys are trying to just kill it, and they're, they're stopping it, and now there's no way for the thing to get out. And it had been frozen out, for so long. And yeah. He, that's when the thing said, that's when McCready says, the thing right at this point is just trying to get frozen. He's not expecting anybody to, to leave. He wants to, everybody to die so he can get frozen, and then somebody can find him however long. He doesn't care how long it is. Years, yeah. whatever. So he, McCready even says, he says, none of us are pretty much going to live. Yeah. He says, we just have to go kill it. We're like, just, we have to do this for the better of, yeah. you know, for the good of the world. But oh, Nulls, you don't see Nulls actually get killed. No. Well, no, the reason that they you don't actually see the Nulls death is because they shot it, and the way they shot it was in stop motion. And where he gets absorbed into the Blair monster. And Carpenter didn't approve it. Carpenter oh, said... I didn't know that. Ah, this just comes across as a little cheesy and not believable. Unfortunately, it just didn't look right compared to the other effects. And he put the kibosh on that. 
So they ended up just all good for him. I mean, I, I to make I mean, a smart, yeah, make a smart Harper, move, right. right? So he ended up just cutting that scene out and just leaving it kind of ambiguous that you assume Nulls got absorbed. Yeah, you obviously know that he probably died. So right, but I would, I would love to see some behind the scenes footage of what that looked like. I would love, to, I haven't seen it. I would love to know what that actually was. So Blair ends up transforming as as we mentioned into this enormous creature. He's like now a big thing. Yeah, it's like the yeah. Blair monster, awful thing. And uh, it, he destroys the detonator. Out? Does he ki- destroy the detonator or does he just part. smash it? Because I think, uh, I'm pretty sure that Kurt Russell still blows up, um, or McGreedy still blows up the... Uh, the base. Thing. Yeah, he still blows it up. Yeah. Because um, McGreedy is there setting everything up, finishing it, and he asks for Knowles. He's like, you guys okay? And that's when he doesn't hear anything, and that's when right. he turns around. He's like, and he's oh, standing there. Yeah. And, and he's waiting, he's waiting, and that's when the big thing starts coming out and starts like like coming under the floor and like yeah, like tremor style, yeah. And like you said, it takes the um, detonator and it smashes it. Okay, it but smashes I didn't, it. I didn't think it broke it because he, um, one of the best lines is uh, he goes, "Oh fuck you too." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he throws, maybe he throws a stick of dynamite. He he throws all. a stick of dynamite and it uh, triggers explosives, which yeah. destroy the base. So now McReady, this is the end. McReady sits uh, nearby as the camp is burning down. Childs returns. Yep. Where was Childs? That's what we'd all like to know. Saying that he became lost in the snow while pursuing Blair. Exhausted and slowly freezing to death, they both acknowledge that they are distrustful of each other, but there's really nothing they can do about it. They're both, like, tired as hell. They're both, it's it's cold out. They're and, spent. Yeah, yeah. negative 40-degree weather is setting in, I'm sure. Um and they apparently share a bottle of scotch or whiskey. You're not quite sure what it is. But and Terrell, two good things that Terrell said about that scene is the part where he's making the Molotov cocktails or whatever with the gasoline. Yeah. And I don't believe I'd have to watch this again. I can't say with 100 percent accuracy. I don't believe Kurt Russell takes a sip of the drink. I thought he and did. And I think Childs does. I know Childs does. But I thought when uh, Terrell said that, I thought that. Um, McCready does it. He first. He might also. T- I don't well, maybe remember. He doesn't. I don't remember. Yeah. That'd be really interesting if he doesn't. Because then, if Ch- if Childs is accidentally drinking gasoline, wouldn't the thing kind of know though? I mean, is it that he can't drink gasoline? Stupid? Well, maybe it can drink gasoline. I mean, maybe it just doesn't. Maybe it doesn't have those functions where it it will know what's really drinkable and not drinkable. Right. Like maybe it. It doesn't know. It says, okay, I've got to be sociable here. He's handing me a drink. I'm going to drink it, not knowing that that's something humans yeah. don't drink. Which, and well, I'll yeah. have to go back and review that in yeah, because I don't recall I that, that perfectly. Again. I definitely know the thing about the cold breath. I didn't know that either. I didn't notice I it. I definitely that, know um, that Charles Charles doesn't have any breath. Like, you don't see his breath. You don't not see it. not his breath, but you don't see his breath. You do not see I do see re- distinctly remember seeing McGreedy's breath because they do a lot of more close-ups of him talking. Very much. I see his breath. Yeah, you absolutely, you absolutely do. Yeah, you definitely do. So, I, I mean, it's left ambiguous, sort of left up to your own interpretation. Which People, is a great ending. I love it. I don't know who it is. I have no idea. It's I not McGreedy at that point. I don't but, think it's McGreedy. I don't think, even if it was Childs, I don't know. The only thing that it would be winning by, if it was Childs and it was a thing, would be that McGreedy is going to die eventually. Yes. And even if Childs gets frozen... Somebody else will just come and dig him up, and like, same thing will happen over again. Right. Which is the only thing that really disturbed me about the prequel, and I've, you know, I've talked to you about this, is that you never really know what happens to Kate. 
Right, like the other Norwegians lead into the American yeah. camp Two and start Norwegians that storyline. Chase the dog, but Kate is in a totally different storyline by herself. In a different storyline in a different area with the other American, which she torches. But there's still a truck that she can take. But well, she kind of burns up the truck when she puts them on fire. But I think there's two trucks. Is there two? Think, the other, the, the other guy of, they chased. Yeah, um, the listeners are totally. But confused then, like, now. you never know what happens to Kate in the prequel. You know, they never talk about it. I think she dies. You would think that she would just freeze and die, but that's my guess. That's the only thing that bothered me. I would like to know what happened to her, but other than that, <laughs> you know, like what would have been crazy is if. Somebody did an edit, like, at the end of the 1982 version, where Childs and McGreedy are sitting there, like, and the camp's burning. All of a sudden, the truck comes pulling up, and it's Kate. That'd be a long time that she'd be driving. <laughs> From the Norwegian camp. <laughs> yeah. Because in the timeline, they're actually very close. Like, within... Oh, yeah. It's only maybe, a like... Few, a day or two or something. How, how long is the timeline in the 1982 one? Maybe a week? I don't even think it's that long. Maybe four days. I think it's. I think days, it's within actually. just yeah, a couple yeah. days. It's very so, quick. Yeah, it would be very close to. It's possible timeline. she could come rolling up on the truck if she's driving. <laughs> a tr- if she's driving a truck from the Norwegian camp to the American camp, what did they say? It was like an hour flying. I don't remember because in the 2011 one, they try to get to a Russian camp. They make mention of a Russian camp. Oh. I don't remember that. And they say that it's like 50 miles away or 40 or 50 miles away. And that's what they're driving on the trucks. I'm pretty sure in the, um, the original, Christ. I'm pretty sure uh, McReady says that the Norwegian camp is about an hour, an hour and a half away. Okay. Yeah. 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 By, by flight. Yeah. Yeah. So she'd have a lot of gas in that truck. I don't know what that considers to it because obviously the trucks, <laughs> the trucks that they have are on like the snow tires or yeah, it's kind of like know, a tracks. tank. Yeah. yeah so tank it's thing. not going like. More than like what twenty five? I wouldn't think so. No, not in the snow. I wouldn't think so. That would be hilarious ending though. <laughs> Kate pulls up and they both look at her and it just ends just right there with like headlights. Or she's just walking in the distance. Yeah, with her hands and tentacle fingers. Or she's just walking like this from uh uh it follows. Oh backwards. god. <laughs> it follows. Another podcast I've done. My god, that movie gives me the creeps. Another great podcast, people. <laughs> So that is the end of the classic quintessential John Carpenter's thing. So what? Who cares? Whatever. No, really. It's a great movie. Um, I think we should listen to Derek Batichek's review, actually, before we close this out. Yes, I'd like to. Let's see what uh, Derek Batichek, or who I think is Derek Batichek's thoughts on the thing. Well, hello, everybody. How's everybody doing today? My name is Derek Batichek, and the extraordinaire there, (laughs) Phil Allen, has once again asked me to weigh in on some topics. A topic, one topic. There's a thing he wants me to talk about. There's The Thing. It's John Carpenter's The Thing, which was a movie from the 80s, 1982 feature. Uh, Boy, it's a lot of fun. i kind of doing this off the cuff here, which... (laughs) Is how I usually do things. I don't know why I needed to tell you that. But uh, a few thoughts on the movie in the first place. It's historically been one of my favorite horror movies. Um, I think that just personally I want to throw that out there before I actually get into it. Um, 
I don't really know what it is about this movie specifically that keeps me coming back because it's one of those movies that's a good repeater. You can watch it over and over again, especially it's the type of movie that if somebody's never seen it and they come over and it's maybe it's around Halloween time and you're on a horror movie kick or even if not, if you're like me, sometimes you you watch them a lot in October, but you also watch them throughout the year, too. Uh, it's one of those movies where they come over. You say, have you ever seen John Carpenter's The Thing? They go, no. You go, oh, we should watch it right now. And whether or not they like it or they dislike it, they always have something to say about it. At the end, there's definitely a conversation once that movie's over. You definitely have a yep. lot of fun talking Agreed. about it. And you could be sitting there with somebody. They could sit through it, hate the movie. You could love the movie. And you'll have you'll both have a, a blast talking about it at the end of the movie. That's the kind of movie it is. Uh, it is it's, it's a very strange movie. There's a, even for a horror movie. There's a few horror movies that fit into that category for me. Uh, it's a very strange movie, so I'm going to throw that out there. Um, not necessarily in terms of plot, uh, but I guess more in terms of creature effects and visually, it's very strange. Um, and the creature effects are, are a large component of of what makes this movie very popular. I would say that. If there's something that I really like about the movie uh, that a lot of people don't talk about, it's the fact that uh, the whole chess game motif between McCready and, and the creature, which I'm I, not to spoil anything, I'll try to keep this spoiler free, and sirens. <laughs> I'll try to keep this spoiler free, but the uh, basically the entire movie is essentially a, a chess game of sorts between, and sirens again. He's being chased. All right. Plenty of sirens. They're after him. Boy, you know, all these fires seem to be happening at the most convenient time for me when I send these to Phil. God damn it. Fire truck. Anyway. Yeah, right. Um, mm. the, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> the house is burned down. <sighs> all right, so where was I? Oh, yeah. So, uh, basically... <laughs> The, the entire uh, movie is essentially uh, the story is, is sort of a chess game between Kurt Russell's R.J. McCready. By the way, I will see anything with Kurt Russell in it. McCready. Whether I should or not. Did you say McCready and, or McCready? Uh, McCready. Basically, yeah. the, the antagonist, which, to keep it as literally as spoiler-free as possible, I'm going to say almost nothing about. Um, I'm sure Phil will have briefed you on that also. Oh, come on. <laughs> Let's see if you people can hear this. We can hear it, Derek. I hope you heard that. Otherwise, it just sounds like I'm a crazy person who's freaking out. I can out hear in my your car. blinker, too. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anywho. Um, I'm sure Phil will have, will have briefed you, uh, Podcastia, on the, on the actual mechanics of the creature, which are kind of vague, uh, actually. You don't necessarily have a concrete set of rules that they work by, uh, which is kind of interesting because it lends itself to a lot of expanded media and fan-made media and things like that. Like, I always I always wanted to make a fan fiction uh, kind of story where R.J. McCready and uh, Ellen Ripley uh, get together and sort of have a romance and they really bond over their love of murdering extraterrestrials with flamethrowers. Like, that's... <laughs> That's kind of been a side project of mine I always wanted to do just for fun and maybe put it on the internet so you, people could just read it and realize what a weirdo I am. But um, So, Derek. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the chess game element is really interesting because you're actually introduced to McCready, who's kind of a flat character, but in a good way, as a lot of John Carpenter characters are. Not 
an absurd amount of death. Uh, death. Not an absurd amount of depth, but really interesting in their flatness. So... Uh, basically, he'll play. I'll give this one scene the away. He'll play this. This flat. there's a chess video game, which is it's a computer that specifically is a chess video game because it's 1982, and he loses to it. He he loses to it completely, and then once he loses to it, he's sitting there and he's drinking a, a, a glass of scotch. He just throws his drink right in the freaking thing. He just throws it right into the computer, yeah. into the circuit boards, and it just it it just catches fire, doesn't really catch fire, but it, it fizzles out and it breaks. And that really tells you a lot about MacReady's character, and a lot of people don't realize that. Because right away you know, this is a guy who if he can't win the game, he'll burn it down. And I think that that says a lot about the movie. So that's what I want to uh, basically say I feel is underappreciated is, is that element. A lot of people don't talk about the, that because they're so swept up in other more noticeable things like the creature effects and the, the, the claustrophobia of the movie and uh, the, the mystery surrounding it and the uh, sort of the, the, the intriguing nature. And I don't think a lot of people give credit to that that. <laughs> amount of development you get for McCready is so brief but incredibly precise. You know everything you need to know about McCready's character from that one scene going forward and you see it in action. So that's that's really my review. If I'm going to give it blueberries or you know which is my old thing, um, I'm I'm definitely going to give it thumbs up. I'm going to give it 20 blueberries out of 20. All right, I'll, I'll give you what the scale is there because it's not a perfect movie. It's not it's not the greatest movie ever made. But it's just so damn enjoyable. It's just so much fun. And it's not even like dumb fun. It's not even like a shitty movie. It's good. It's just a lot of fun, especially for science fiction horror fans. And even if not, it's the kind of movie you can always watch with a friend and you always have something to talk about it. So, uh, Making Moves, thank you very much. Thanks, Derek. I think Derek nailed a lot of things there as well. Oh, he did. Like the cops coming after him. And I, th- I I agree with what you I said. hope he got away. I think if you watch it with friends, I think even if they hate it, you're going to be talking about it. Absolutely. Yeah, we've talked about this countless times before finally recording. And I'm sure we forgot a lot of the thoughts we wanted to talk about. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to do like the... Uh, the extended version, like the appendage or whatever, yeah. and like talk about all the shit we forgot to talk about because there's just so much to go over. It, but uh, it, he has good points, and I thought it, the thing he said about the chess game was interesting too because I went back and looked at a screenshot of that. It's not actually checkmate. The computer lied. He's not in checkmate. You've played chess before, right? Yeah. He's not in checkmate. He's really close to it. He's in a bad position. He's outnumbered, but it's not total checkmate. So the computer really did kind of lie. Like the computer would have gotten him eventually. Yeah. It's like when you're really far behind in chess, there's no coming back. But the computer said checkmate and he threw it in. So technically, the computer kind of was cheating. It wasn't exactly over. It's like, you know, like you're playing a basketball game, you're down by 60 points with 10 seconds left. You're not coming back, but the game's not over. You think they did it on purpose or you think that was just something where. They just like, missed they like missed the screenshot the, yeah, and continuity and or something, cut, and they just kind of left it like that. I have no idea. I have no that's, idea. That's a good um, take. That's a good catch, though. Yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah. I wonder. I wonder if that was like you said, it was done on purpose or not. I really have no idea. But because I never, I didn't get the the impression of Kurt Russell being a hothead. I did get the impression like what Derek said of him, like if it doesn't, if he's not going to get it, then he's going to destroy it. Yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. 
Yeah, if he but can't I, beat it, he's going to break it. Yeah, kind of thing. but I, th- I guess in for what happened in the movie, that's the kind of mentality I guess you really needed, though. Oh, that's why Just he was the perfect that, character yeah. for it. Yeah. All right, so final thoughts. Let's get into these final Jerry Springer thoughts. What's your final thoughts on the film? Do you have a rating uh, out of five stars? Out of five stars? I mean, it it was a great movie. It's hard to have a perfect movie. So that's why I always have a hard time giving a movie like five stars. Because mm-hmm. that means like it's pretty much perfect. Yeah. But then again, if it's a, or so if it's a great movie, it's got to be damn close. So, I mean, I would say either like a out of five stars, like a four or 4.5 upper echelon movie then yeah yeah it's just because for in my opinion for when it came out for what they did in that time genre and the kind of movie that it is and all the thought that obviously went behind like you know the concepts and everything mm-hmm. it was a freaking awesome movie and well ahead of its time it is it is is i think that's a pretty fair assessment yeah i think the film um you know, I think it looks good, like you said, and and I think going back um, different generations, like I can't wait to show my kids when they're a little bit older, watch this movie. I want to watch it with them and see what they think of it. They, will, I'm sure, will say, "Oh my god, that thing looks a little dated. That looks dated." But when the monster explodes and is attacking people or whatever, I'm sure they're going to be uh, their stress levels are going to be going up because you just get sucked into the moment of it. It's very well made, and I think it is pretty timeless, aside from some of the silly computers and stuff, but that's to be expected. It's 1982. It even says in the beginning of the movie, it says Antarctica 1982. So you know it's set in that time period. It's not, like, confusing. It's Those are 80s computers. It's yeah. a timeless movie. I, you know, like I said, it looks great. It's it's fun, like Derek said. It's fun. It's scary. It's shocking. Your first time around. It's a great multi viewer, like we've said. Um, I I agree with all those things. And I, if out of five stars, I'm gonna do it, man. It's a five out of five for me. That's good. Hey, I'm not gonna. It is a five out of five, baby. And honestly, baby. The only way that you, the, probably one of the main ways that you'd be able to tell it's an old film is because it still has the old filter on it yes it does for how it's shot yes it does you can tell that it's an old because of the the filters that they used yes. to use and everything yep. like that it's just different yeah but if they were able to make it look just like crystal clear yeah crystal clear i think you would have a hard time telling i think when you it would was too. actually shot yeah it's not like flamethrowers have changed except They're for still, you know obviously kurt kurt russell with his like you know beautiful flocks well yeah yeah, he does a great job. I think all the acting is superb. I think the acting is good in the 2011 version. I agree, and I was just going to say, I think 2011, I agree with you, where it, when I first watched it, I didn't think it was very good, only because of how much the special effects took away from it. Yeah. But as I've watched it, like, six times, like, in the past week, getting <laughs> nice. ready dedication, for this, like, bro. But I've started liking it more and more. So, but also because I know the backstory of what they actually did put into it, mm-hmm. and unfortunately what the studio took out of it. Right, right. So, like, I'm not going to punish the film because I know what they it, did put into what it. they did do and what got replaced. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I, I do think it's a good. I not, I wouldn't give it a four or a four point five. I'd probably give it like a three. Uh, the 2011, yeah, 2011. I'd probably, I would give it a three as well. I think a three is a fair score. Just because, like you said before, they do a really good job. The acting is good yeah. in 2011, just no like complaints. the 2015. And, I mean, 2015. Um, <laughs> There's another version? Yeah, right? You gotta cover it. Um, but the, the the story is, does they do a good job of um, taking you through what happened or what you didn't know about 
from the 1982 yeah. version. Oh no, if so. you if you watch 2011 version, it ends and then you put on the tooth that uh, tooth engine. You watch the 2011 version, it ends and you put on the 1982 version, start it. It's a flawless beginning to end as if it was one long continuous movie. And like you said before because they used the clips from they used new clips and old clips from the two Norwegians flying to get the dog. Yeah, tie it, it would in. be really seamless to go into the. It would be absolutely version. seamless. You wouldn't even be able to tell. Yeah, yeah. kind of like when I went to watch 1982 version and it was still the 2011 version on Cody. Oh my gosh, this looks good. It looks exactly the same as what I just watched. It's amazing. My God, 1080 pixel. Oh my God. Anyway, all right. I think we've said enough for right now. Man, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, it's been great. It's been a great time. So, I hey guys, thank you, Phil. Oh, you're thank thanking you for, me. Yeah, thank you for you know inviting me on another you know podcast. I think it's awesome, and I have always have fun being here. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you came. I was I was just gonna stop with that. But. Just want to make sure it's you though. You know, I was <laughs> yeah. sure. No, well, thanks for coming for sure. And, uh, you know, guys, if you want to send me an email, send me an email at philinterrupted at gmail.com. Shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, you know, all those other fun podcast directories. And you can always go to the circulologicstudios.com website to check out uh, anything there. And listen to, I mentioned, the old Breaking Batacheck show they did with Derek. Love to hear Derek's voice. He's hilarious. Yes, listen to them both because they are both great podcasts. Yeah, they're the greatest ambassador of all time. Can't be the real Matt. Can't be as imposter. <laughs> imposter. Anyway, guys, I guess that's it. We're out of here. Thanks to Matt again. And we're going to catch you next time. We're making moves on Phil Interrupted. Peace out. And the first thing I see, tentacles shooting out the dogs. I was like, oh, what is this? Yeah, it's just so it is so vintage eighties. I don't know why I said it like that. Eighties. 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 I'm the thing. Oh, come on. <laughs> Let's see if you people can hear this. We can hear it, Derek. <laughs>